Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit PlanetBcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hey, what's up, and welcome to another episode of Serious Issues, a weekly comic book podcast coming to you live and direct out of King's Comics Back Room, 310 Pitt Street. If you ever want to come and buy any of the books that we talk about on the show, that's exactly where you can find them or at kingscomics.com. My name is Andrew Levins. My regular co host, Siobhan Coombs, is out of action while she deals with the most action. Ever, I don't know, I had a kid once, lazy. it wasn't really action, yeah, she's lazy, basically. Siobhan <laughs> had a kid, everybody, his name is Shatterstar, and that's his real name, and uh, he may have a cameo, kind of, in this episode. <laughs> a little bit of a uh, little bit of a tease for what's to come. Uh, I've been uh, asking various voices from within Siobhan's head to come and guest host with me. Last week we had Jim, uh, who, uh, as well as being a voice in Siobhan's head that she asked questions to during the show works at King's, and so does his next voice. I feel like this ne- this voice within Siobhan's head has only ever been yelled at by Siobhan <laughs> mid-episode of Serious Issues. Uh, but we got the one and only Wayne, a.k.a. Wayne's Pains. hey uh, Joining us again. Uh, Wayne, what is your role at King's Comics? Uh, Jim, what's my role? <laughs> is he a voice in your head too? He's, we're all multiple, multiple voices in each other's head. Uh... I don't know, just a friendly stuff, friendly, friendly neighborhood comic comedic guy. relief. <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit of bit of an everyman, do a bit of everything. So please, a warm serious issues. Welcome to Wayne Hunt, who'll be joining us for almost all of this episode. Um, we might have another surprise guest at some point. Um, he's going to join me to talk about all of the new number ones that came out last week, because every episode of Serious Issues starts with first things first, in which we review all those new number ones, let you know which are the ones that you should be joint reading to, and which are the ones that you shouldn't, and. Uh, Overall, a quick little kind of, you know, percentage. How many of these would you continue reading versus how many would you wish you never did? Well, out of the list that you gave me, to be honest, this week, there was probably only three that I really wanted to check out. Mm-hmm. So some of the others were a bit of a grind. A couple, couple of surprises? I'd say, yeah, yeah, definitely a couple of surprises. And probably, I want to say there's a good three in there that I myself would continue reading. But, you know, everyone's palette's different, so... Yeah, that's right. That's the not for me rule. The yep. famous serious issues saying, <laughs> um, "Let's get into these week's number ones," um, and we're going to kick things off with Marvel, uh, their seventh new X Men title yeah. to start a new new series uh, in the last two months is Astonishing X Men number one, uh, written by Charles Soule. This issue is drawn by uh, Jim Chung. Which really is nice, fucking really nice. exciting as hell. But I think I think he's only staying on for one issue, oh, and no. then and then every issue, different artists on every issue. Oh, no. <laughs> 
I saw that, yeah, <laughs> which is just ridiculous and completely like that is Marvel now. You could not sum up Marvel with a dumber sentence than that. Yeah, well, look, I think for myself, like I'm a bit of an old school X Men fan, uh, but I was actually this is probably the issue that surprised me the most out of the bundle, Astonishing X Men number one. Um, this I feel like is the closest I'll get to X Men of the Glory Days. What are the glory days for you? Uh, so for me, it'd be stuff like oh, almost anything before Age of Apocalypse, uh-huh. um, like Fatal Attractions, that sort of stuff. The so mid eighties, yeah, 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 yeah. So for me, this was like I don't know, felt a little bit more of like the the, the classic teams, I suppose. So we've gotten. Um, Discluding all of the kind of solo titles we've got from the X-Books, we've gotten the main ones have been X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold. Yep. Uh, X-Men Gold lost me pretty quickly. Um, I, I thought the first issue was all right, and then it kind of just kind of lost me. Uh, and X-Men Blue, um, I was a bit more invested in, but then it lost me as well. It, for me, like those titles, like I just didn't, it didn't make you care about the characters enough. Uh, and that's where I think, uh, astonishing at least, uh, they jumped into those relationships. Like... Um, uh, Gambit and Phantom X, Bishop and Logan, um, and of course like, yeah, Gambit and Rogue. So, like they did enough throughout this issue to, uh, I suppose, establish that those relationships were there. And it's also like I think I, I connected this one immediately just because it it does such a great job of setting up this what you know is going to be a big epic adventure. Yeah. Um, and that's that's why I read X books. Like yeah, you want the soap opera stuff, but if you lean too heavily on it, which is what some of the more recent ones did, that's dull. Yeah. You want it to be a good mix of action, but you don't want it to be action where they're just like you know fighting a giant in New York. Yeah. You want it to be like this fun adventure that's going to send them all over the world and bring together different mutants from different timelines, not timelines, but like you know different yeah. eras of X Men teams. And this team is a really fun one. Um, in, in the lead up, seeing this, you know, you see Old Man Logan on the front first and foremost. He's like, isn't he already in ten books? Yeah, but yeah, he, he's actually used <laughs> quite well in this. Um, you've you've got um, uh, Gambit. Uh, Rogue, Phantom X, um, Angel, Bishop, and um, Psylocke. Apparently, um, where's Myst- Mystique? Mystique was meant to be in this, according to the cover. Wow. Um, we do get Beast on the team too, so maybe that's Mystique pretending to be Beast. What That'd actually be a pretty good twist, actually. Well, I'd actually not, not, that. not if they've spoiled that by putting. Yeah, it on the well, cover. <laughs> yeah, now. <but laughs> um, I really like the whole. I mean, maybe, maybe it's because I was watching too much Legion. Well, that's the, that's the big, the very, very clever use of uh, the character of the Shadow King, yeah, who is uh, the uh, kind of the the villain of Le- the Legion TV series. Yeah, I kind of like the angle of, of uh, the antagonist in this. Like the Shadow King's basically collecting psychics so he can break through to to to, to their world. And uh, yeah, I thought they did a good job aligning that also like that i don't know about you but i didn't feel like there was a clear-cut leader yes. of of the squad i felt like psylocke, uh, psylocke sort of took control um uh, at the end of the day of the situation but i didn't feel like there was a you know a, uh, a cyclops leading the squad into this like i just felt like everyone was kind of you know mashed together a little bit uh, but it but it worked well yeah, it worked really, really well. And there's a big twist at the end featuring the return of a character who we knew was going to. We, we knew we were going to. We, we knew he would uh, return eventually. Yeah. But um, like I, I won't spoil it. Are you you want to spoil it? it? <laughs> I do want to. Choose, I, I feel like that's a massive spoiler. Okay. So it's, it's a classic final page cliffhanger where you're like, oh. Did you read it though and just go just because it had the black speech bubble? Did you think, ah, oh, he's a bad guy? Farouk or no, no. Oh, it was in like yeah, right. The, the, the final reveal. page. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I kind of went. Uh, 
it's in a black speech bubble. Like, I mean, many people would argue that he always has been a bad guy. Wayne. Oh, that's true. This is true. Um, so yeah, look, I think this definitely kind of sunk its teeth in me way more than any other X books have in the last uh, few months. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Dennis Hopeless Jean Grey book, but that's very different to this. Yeah. Um, I would uh, absolutely give it a give it a go if you, if you love uh, your, your ex characters and you especially love adventures. There's high adventure to be found in this book, Wayne. Yep. Uh, and Jim Chung's art is uh, is just awesome, and yeah. it made me long. I mean, the problem with, whenever I read one of his books, though, I go, I love his art so much, except the story isn't as good as Young Avengers, <laughs> and I think I'm like, I just want to read Young Avengers again. Have you read, have you read all these, the Jim Chung? I haven't read them all. I've, uh, I've flicked through a lot of it, but not haven't sat down and given a good read. But I like the fact that the art and the story really fed off each other. I feel like they it was a good match. Oh, it's dynamic. It was like, you know, real cine- it was a cinematic X-Men book. Yeah, and sure. it just got straight to business in the spirit, basically. It was not a big backstory. It's just straight into it, which is kind of what you want. Yeah, and I'm definitely like, a, I'm, a, I'm a much later um, X-Men fan. So I like the... Uh, the, the the like early two thousands era of, of X books. I love Morrison's run and, and Whedon's run, and uh, all of the kind of like second second coming and those events that sprung out in the in the later first decade of the two thousands. So seeing a lot of characters that I'm familiar with from that era is, was was cool to me too. Yeah. Oh, one question actually. Yeah, please. When uh, so obviously I'm a little bit out of touch with my X Men uh, from from their glory days, I suppose, but. What's the deal with Angel and him being able to switch between Archangel and Angel now? Yeah, I, I don't know when they... Because uh, the last book... Obviously, I've read um, Remender's Uncanny X-Force, which yep. is one of the best X-Books I've ever read. Um, and uh, he, he, he dies at the end of that. Right. And then he gets brought back... Because he's, he basically is becoming Archangel too often. Yeah. Um, and uh, Archangel has kind of taken over. He has Angel. like a bloodlust now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so he, he doesn't make it through the end of that run. It's like a 10-year-old run, I, everybody. Yeah, I thought it was cool because Angel uh, like all of a sudden sort of sheds his, uh, sheds his wings... And the steel blades come through, but I was kind of like, oh, I didn't know. Does he ever go full Archangel in this? He just I has don't the think wings. He, goes, he only goes when he he only switches when he protects Psylocke. Just his wings, though. Not, just so, the so, wings, yeah, though. No, no, so yeah, he doesn't no, no, go. No, no. He doesn't go blue. I but think, I think maybe he has robotic wings. I can't remember. Mm. Yeah, but because uh, of while he, when he came back, he was he no he didn't die. Sorry, they stripped they stripped his his mind from him. Basically, they re, uh, Psylocke resets his mind in Uncanny X Force. Oh, okay. He doesn't die. Okay. So not, not 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 a massive spoiler. A reset mind is nowhere near as bad as a death. Yeah. Um. And then then yeah. Then he has to like kind of re- relearn everything. I can't remember what happened, but I guess he learned he relearned everything, including how to switch to Archangel whenever <laughs> he wants. Well done, Angel. Um. Yeah. So actually, X Men number one. I'm definitely on board. Is definitely the uh, X book that appeals to me the most. Yeah. I'm uh, checking out year. number two. Definitely. Who's the, I wonder who the, who's Jim? Homework. Who is the artist on X Men? Astonishing X Men number two. You've you've got a while. Don't worry. What, 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 <laughs> you you can look that up while we uh, go, while we Google uh, Batman sixty six. We talk about Batman sixty six meets the oh Legion of boy. Superheroes. Uh, so, do you keep up with the Batman sixty six books, which Mark are the uh, Mark Diodato is doing issue two of okay, Astonishing X Men? Right. Thank you, Jim. The best voice in our head of all. Um, so uh, yeah, sorry. On to uh, Batman sixty six meets Legion of Superheroes. Batman sixty six books are the comics based. They're kind of more adventures set in the uh, Batman. The 60s Batman television series world yeah. um, They're really high camp They're funny uh, They're pop art um, Mike Allred has done the covers For all of the, the issues And so It's the whole Allred team on this Well yeah that's the thing I, I, I didn't look at the uh, the creative roster 
I just saw the cover and I'm so I've read so many of these books where <laughs> yeah. it's an old red cover and then like significantly worse art on the inside. Um, and you always get excited because the cover looks so good. And then, yeah. you know, imagine my surprise when I turn to page one and it's Allred in there too. Yeah. So this was the team of Lee Allred, Michael Allred and Laura Allred, who you can catch uh, writing uh, Bug the Forager um, for Young Animal at the moment. Um, and uh, this is an issue that gets straight to business straight away with uh, the Legion of Superheroes, uh, who are the, the, like the massive Superman fan superheroes of the uh, 30th century. Um, basically... Uh, uh, like immediately, just go, like c- coming to the '60s, going straight to Stately Wayne Manor, and um, and letting themselves into the back cave. Yeah, and, way to go, Alfred. Uh, well, they, hypnot- they hypnotize him in his defense. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they, they've, they've done so because they want to recruit Robin to join the, the, the most famous teen superhero of all to to join their team. And then then there's a big funny plot with involving Egghead. And they weirdly jump. In, they weirdly jump into the future. Uh, it's classic uh, it's Legion. Man. Legion is heroes bullshit any uh long-time listeners of the serious issues show is going to know that i'm not the biggest batman fan and so reading batman 66 although i know there's a massive fan base behind this stuff man it just feels so outdated to me and just i mean obviously it says 66 i get it i get it like this is not something i would pick up off the shelf the title says it's it's date on the front um, and you know what fuck those stupid snickers ads I'm getting sick of those stupid snicker ads. In the if you read these these books digitally, uh, oh. in, the, in the middle of every DC book this month is a uh, a sequel to the famous Snickers ad of last year, in which it was which was a one pager in which Wonder Woman uh, turned into Doomsday because she was so hungry, yeah. and they give her a Snickers and she turns back. And this one's like, the Grod. <laughs> this one's the Grod and Flash, uh, but it's, it's just some kid is turning into Grod. Yeah, but um, it's just particularly annoying because it, it'll always come after like a, a semi, semi cliffhanger in the middle of the book and then you yeah. turn and it's like, what the hell? Yeah, what? They're eating Snickers bars now? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you really, really that you, you, so Wayne has written post-it notes on all of his comics this week. And I yeah. think half of the notes on this book <laughs> are about advertising that he saw within the issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, for he me, he hates Batman that much. The everybody. highlight of this book was actually the, the advertisement for the upcoming, uh, Mr. Miracle. The Tom, 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 Tom King, King and, and uh, Mitch Jarrett's. Yeah. I'm a, um, super excited for that. That looks amazing. There's a preview in Batman this week. Did you read oh, that? I didn't. I'll it looks, check it that looks out. excellent. Because that looks... The nine panel grid oh, is, uh, it looks, looks so good. That looks that look like it's going to be something else. But uh, look back to this. Uh, yeah, definitely not my cup of tea. I thought you were a big Michael Allred fan. I, I like Allred. I just... Uh, Batman, come on. Yeah. I can't, the, art's, the art's cool, but I look at it and I go, nah, just... Wish you were drawing Doom Patrol or something, you know. <laughs> um, but like, you, like you, even a camp dumb Batman isn't like doesn't tickle your. your it's just not. It's just not for me. Like, for me, this just read like a just like a classic uh, Michael read like Madman or even, even yeah. Book. I mean, I did. I must admit, I did laugh at the uh, when they're talking to Robin and explain to him about the different Robins through throughout time and there's a turtle Robin. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty funny. But. Uh, look, this is a one shot too. So if you want to pick up a little bit of a uh, little chunk of. Uh, Fun Batman 66 by Allred, um, by all means, pick this one up. I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun. It's like, you know, you, you kind of know what you're in for but just by looking at the cover. Uh, so from uh, Marvel and DC, we now move over to Image. Image put out three number ones this week. And we're going to kick things off with a review of uh, issue one of Generation Gone, the new book by Alish Cott with uh, Andre Lima Arajo on, um, on art. Mm-hmm. This is a, uh, a triple size issue. 56 pages of comic book um, in this issue for four ninety nine, And worth the money. 
Yeah, so I, I really, really enjoyed this. This was my favourite of uh, all the ones this week. Have you read many Alex Scott stuff in no, the past? No. So uh, he... Uh, I mean, Zero was it was it was what the series that I read a lot of, and then I, I read a bunch of his Marvel stuff. He wrote a couple of weird run. He did a Secret Avengers run and a um, a Bucky like the Winter Soldier run as well, which was not not, not that good. But he extremely high concept and uh, uh, very um, like hard to explain elements of of, of theory within his books as well. Yeah. And uh, he, this is the first time I've seen that he's working with an editor. So this book was edited um, by Lizzie Kay, and it really feels like they've dialed him back and really streamlined his work. That this is like, I guess, like his first attempt at like a really mainstream skewing. Yeah, whatever they're book. doing, they need to keep doing it because it works really well. I, I'm not sure what cover you got. There's two different covers for this one, but the uh, the one I got was with the opening panel as the front page. Oh, that's great! I love it. And that was that. fantastic. I think that or like really added to it. So if you can get your hands on that one, go for that one for sure. But. The overall read of this is excellent. Um, I really like the art as well. I thought, it, again, like Astonishing X-Men kind of married really well with the story. Yeah, I, I, there, there definitely doesn't look like it's a, a, a very uh, experienced comic book artist. It looks like someone that's relatively new to comics. Um, but like, there's some clearly impressive panels within this book, yeah. which is um, about... Uh, four, I guess it kind of revolves around four characters. Three of them are, are young hackers, hackers? Yeah. Um, which is always, you know, I, don't, I feel like there's never a way to, to write a, hack, a story about hacking without making your characters just seem super lame. Yeah. Uh, but he does a pretty good job of me not making them too lame. Um, but the, uh, the fourth character that revolves around is uh, someone who is working for a big shadowy government agency uh, called... Fadak or something? Yeah, something. It's definitely not Fadak, but it's something. Um, and... Uh, uh, he is he's working on he basically he gives like a, a presentation to the company at the start of uh, the organization at the start yep. of the issue and basically says that um, he's he created a code that can uh, turn people into superheroes yeah so he splits the code into three so that way he's not affected by it yeah but if you read um, all three of these codes together then it alters your your structure yeah yeah um, giving you flight strength and intellect and that sort of thing so but he pitches it to them and they don't they don't go for it they want him to focus on because basically this is kind of like his passion project on the side that he's pitching yep um but man this story is really well done i can't wait to read the next issue yeah so basically um, the whole thing is about it's a, it's a new way that these three three teenagers get superpowers um the, the three the three teenagers it's, it's a couple her boyfriend's a big old dick dickhead right and like i think maybe went a little too heavy with establishing this guy as a complete tool like on the foot within the first two pages like man this guy sucks yeah but that, that you know that's clearly the, the, the prerogative um and then uh they're well back- actually actually thought I thought, yeah, he's a dick at the start, but then what sealed it for me was uh, towards the end when they're just about to go into their f- sort of final, their big hack. When they did their big hack, yeah. Yeah, and he's basically like, well, I'll just leave you. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, like, oh, that, man, that's cold. I, I also <laughs> love that like he takes her on a date to Taxi Driver because only a dick would do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she falls asleep. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and, and basically, like, yeah, as you can imagine, these three hackers, uh, they, they hack the, uh, the, the organization and um, that fourth character we were talking about earlier exposes them to the three pages of code and that yep. means that they uh, this ends with them getting basically gaining powers at the very end. But the build up to it is well, massive. Do they done. Do they all? Well, the, the final panel. It's only one is, person is, standing at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, so the, hopefully, sure Dick boyfriend is dead. What <laughs> happens? But man, the last the last seven pages of this issue uh, uh, is just full shit hit the fan. 
yeah, it all goes down. And, and it's awesome because if you were to, I suppose if you were to flick just the last pages, like just picking this off the shelf, uh, you would think that maybe it's like a, a horror. Yeah, definitely. But it's so well, so well put together. Yeah, not enough praise for this. It's uh, it's excellent. Yeah, this is great. It's probably my, my favorite number one yeah. of the week as well. I'm looking forward to following it. The only thing that they didn't sell me on was them being kids. Yeah. Are they, are, it wasn't are they until kids? they aren't they just kind of like late well, teens? They finished school. It wasn't until they went home. They're college kids. That I kind of went, oh, okay. But I didn't get that vibe that they were sort of kids at the start. But man, no one over nineteen thinks hacking is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is uh, Generation Gone number one. We move on to another book called Moonstruck number one. This is uh, by. Uh, the writer of Lumberjanes, her new book, Grace Ellis, uh, teaming up with an artist who I quite liked, uh, style of Shay Beagle is her name. And then we have a, a guest page in here by um, the writer and artist Kate Leth as well. Uh, Moonstruck, uh, immediately this reminds me of a book that I loved uh, that just finished called Brave Chef Brianna. I literally got that in my notes. It's um, like, it reminds me so much. I literally thought that this was like some spin-off from that because the art's very similar. Well, so yeah, it's basically like a a, a, a larger woman with, with like a short blonde hairdo, which is pretty much what Brave but, Chef Brianna But even like. just the world she's in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, the fact that she's and cooks and, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, but yeah. She, just, she just waits tables. She makes coffees. I was hoping this is another book about food. Um, yeah. I've actually written, I've written a, uh, a, sto- a, a story for our first ever um, Serious Issues mail out that's going out today. Right on. Um, about my favorite comics about food and Brave Chef Brianna is it's in It's got to be on there. Yeah, that's great. Um, but uh, this is uh, a, a world of where everyone is like a kind of um, an animal, but also a human. So you, they, can, they can morph between animals and humans. Um, and our main character is a werewolf, so um, she doesn't like morphing to, to, to her animal form because werewolves do bad things, I guess. Yeah, um, sure. But this is a um, uh, very, very queer comic throughout it, uh, absolutely about uh, relationships within this world. It has this big, fun, crazy world, and this is all about dating and mating within yeah. this world. It's a big old animals. queer monster world in this one. Um, Which is I, fun. Yeah, I found a lot of the dialogue really on the nose and just like, this isn't how people talk. Yeah. Um, it was very tumblery. But I think they did that to try and explain it. Oh, no, I mean, I mean like the relationship. Oh, right, like, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. There were a lot of, lot of weird buzzwords and stuff like that. Yeah. Then I think a lot of, um, a lot of queer comics get stuck with for some reason i don't like they I, like this very unrealistic uh extremely millennial dialogue um i can't give you an immediate example but like yeah i i, 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 find no, I know of, what you mean though yeah okay. it's very you know it's 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 it's, it's they're young creators i guess so yeah. so it's, it's it's you know trying to channel the uh the dialogue of the youth yeah i mean i'm a sucker for watercolors uh yeah, the art, light, i love so the, the art in this book. is yeah. fantastic and if you like uh was it brianna uh, Brave Chef Brianna. I mean, yep. you're gonna love this too. It's it's, it's in the same yeah, ballpark, I'd say. I I really loved the uh, little Inception moment where it's like you're reading a comic of a character reading a comic yep. of a character reading. <laughs> like it's like yeah. hang on, but they they switched the art up for that too, so that was kind yeah, of that, cool that was as well. Kate Leff, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I um, who, who was another um, uh, writer who who uses a lot of the tween, teen speak. <laughs> yep. Um, I really liked the uh, the monster elements of this towards the end. Again, another one of us like, oh, this could be a horror book at the end uh, when she when she does turn into a werewolf. Um, so I think I might give an, another issue. Um, Another issue, a, a chance, just because that element interested me. But uh, overall, I think this is, this falls in the not for me pile. Yeah, not for me, but I, w- I would recommend it. Like it's still 
still fun. It's still a good read. Uh, like, Shea, it's beautiful. Shea Beagle is arts. definitely someone that's going to stay on my radar. I love her. Yeah, right. The best cool. thing about this book for sure. Our final image book this week was Lazarus um, X plus 66, one of six. So this is the Greg Rucker uh, series um, about uh, set in the kind of dystopian future in which uh, the, the all of the world has been divided into uh, land run by different families who are all at war. They all have uh, a Lazarus, which is a uh, kind of super-powered uh, human who is kind of like the, who leads their armies and that kind of thing. Um, and as acts as like the family's protector. Uh, this was a uh, yeah. It was written by Greg Rucker with um, art by Michael Lark, and that main series took a hiatus um, a couple months ago, right. and said that during that hiatus they were going to do this series, which uh, has art by uh, and you know you're not, you're not gonna this is not too too shabby at all. I've got uh, a feeling artist by St- Steve Lieber, who you might know from uh, the Fix and Superior Foes of Spider Man. Do you feel like you need to read the previous stuff? Yeah, so you don't? I, well, I haven't read any of the previous stuff for this. So for me, I was like, I feel like I'm missing a big chunk of the world. Like they do a really good job of sort of the now scenario and what they're dealing with. But as far as the scope of the world they're in, for me, it was a bit hazy. So yeah, I mean, Lazarus has done 30-odd issues of world building. And yep. these, the, the X Plus 66 series, which is a six-issue um, miniseries, are basically stories that aren't about Forever Kylie set in, the world, in her world. Yep. And so this one um, is set with... Uh, uh, a story all about Casey Solomon, who was uh, waste, which is what you are when you are not working for the families or within the families. So you're just, you know, like you're 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 poor, living outside the the borders. Um, she gets brought in to to basically fight on, um, for the Carlisle family, and this is, um, you know, she she hasn't been doing the same amount of training that all of the uh, other soldiers that she's um, fighting with have done. So a lot of she has a lot a lot more to prove. And he's about it. <laughs> was it so? And she hears about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then it's basically like it's basically like a um, a training a, a training module, like a few a few days in the life of her training um, to to fight um, and having to prove herself to uh, her superiors and just her fellow soldiers. I thought that was a, a pretty interesting and, and, and fun little peek into one of these characters within outside of this of the the direct story. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think you should have. It, 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 you, you need to read all of Lazarus to pick this up. I think. Yeah, look, I haven't read any of the previous stuff, but I still found this pretty engaging. You know, uh, it's a six part of this one, and I still it still did enough for me to at least check out issue two. So you know, it does its job. Um, and the beauty about that is now I can go back and read the earlier stuff. I highly Lazarus. recommend it. It's such a good book. Um, I'm not a big person who's into like the military storylines and stuff like that, but. You know, well, that's yeah, it's only a small part of yeah. of, of uh, Lazarus, and in fact, this is a one shot about this character. Yeah. The next issue is about um, one of the brothers. Yeah, um, yeah. I did like the tones throughout, like as far as like the colors they use. I, I mean, again, like I said, I'm a bit of a sucker for like anything sort of watercolory. Um, yeah, but colors. they use like a lot of greys, and I thought that really set the tone for like the the environment they're in. And I actually really liked. So they they changed up a little bit when the uh, with the flash bomb goes off. Yep. Uh, at the end, where it goes real hazy, and they use like a lot of like clear cross hatching through it. Like it just sort of like a bomb's just going off. So there's an element of uh, I suppose sort of deafness that passes passes over these guys. Yeah, I've I only they seen really portrayed that well. Yeah, I've only seen Lieber do comedy books, um, and so seeing him do a, a straight up like you know like war drama issue was was really really excellent. Yeah. Um, this is a really great one shot. Um, if you uh, even if you've tapped out of Lazarus, um, you know, or maybe you're reading it in trade, definitely pick this one up to revisit the world. It's a lot of fun. Those are our image reviews for the week. And before we get into our IDW reviews, there was a top shelf book this week that came out called Corgi Short Tales. Now, Wayne, 
unfortunately, like I could say lots of nice things about Ew. you, but you are not a corgi expert. Man, Kings, I escaped that bomb. Kings, uh, Kings has yeah. You you, you escaped <laughs> this comic that took one minute to read. Yeah, you got we got plenty of worse ones. In fact, the one we we're about to talk about took me so long to fucking read. But uh, before we get there, um, I asked uh, Kings Comics resident corgi expert Lynn to uh, review corgi short tales with me. So let's listen to that now. All right, we've got a very special guest review right now, and uh, it's someone who's not being brought in because of her comic book-related background or skills. She's purely being brought in because of her love of a certain breed of dog. She is uh, King's Comics' resident corgi expert, Lynn No, and um, welcome to Serious Issues. Um, You're probably the the second, after Jim, I reckon the second most referenced person on the podcast Am I? Because I you're, well, yeah, we fired you one week. Oh yeah, you fired me when I was gone. Yes, I remember that. Thanks, guys. And um, <laughs> yeah, you, you get yelled at a lot. I think. In fact, Chelsea Kane, the uh, writer of Mockingbird, has actually referenced you uh, as like one of the, her favorite things about the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I remember you guys telling me that back then. I now know who she is. Back then, I didn't. So, Lynn, what is your job at Kings besides loving corgis? I work for Talia. <laughs> <laughs> What's Talia's job? <laughs> We just wrap your online orders for you. Things are nicely wrapped. Whenever you hear the taping in the background, oh yeah, of that's me. Issues. Tape guns, my sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you love corgis. Tell me about corgis. Why do you love them? How many do you own? I own none. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever owned one? No. Do you have a dog? Yeah. What kind of dog is it? I have a Pomeranian, a German Shepherd, and a third that I don't know the breed of. How come you love corgis so much and you don't have a corgi? Because they're short and stumpy like me. <laughs> But why don't you have one? I don't know. No. Okay, well, the consolation prize for not having a Corgi is this Corgi comic that we're about to review the first issue of. Uh, corgi with a K is an ongoing series for all ages. Um, it is a mostly wordless. Holy smokes. Pause, pause. We just got... We just got Shadow stars here. We're just interrupted by uh, the first ever King's Comics appearance of uh, Shinbone since post-given birth and the baby that came out of her. <laughs> Shatterstar. Shatterstar. Shatterstar Coombs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should have like got like a Vox Pop from Jim, Siobhan, like, hey, I'm still here, I'm still doing that. Oh, yeah, she should have just jumped in and stolen a mic. Could have gotten like a little, a little baby drop. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> whatever. There were corgis to talk about, but uh, if anyone cares. Cuter baby, babies. The baby is adorable. Actually, yeah, before we get to review this comic, com- uh, cor- Corgis versus babies, Lynn. Where do you Everything stand? is better than babies. I, I hate children so much. You just saw a really adorable little one. He looks like a toy. <laughs> Boy, are you working the wrong yeah. Surrounded by parents. I don't understand babies. Lynn's going to get fired again. Uh, <laughs> so let's review this comic. Uh, Corgi Short Tales is a... Uh, a new little addition to the Corgi franchise. It's Corgi with a K. Everything is written and drawn by this one dude, Christian Slade, with help from other people who also have the same last name of Slade. I don't know if they're his children or his his parents or his sisters and brothers. I don't know. The first four volumes was everything drawn and written by him, so I don't know who these are. So tell me, I think I, I own one of the volumes, but I don't think I've, I've read it. It's not, a, it's not that hard to read, Levin. There's no, no words. words right? So tell me about Corgi. What's Corgi? Um, it is just like a short children's tale and they live in Corgi Hollow, um, Corgi with a K and the people looking things are called Mollies. The main one is called Ivy and yeah, they just live in like trees. But so Corgi is, is a, is an adorable looking Corgi who can breathe fire? Yes. Yes. He can breathe fire. Why? Not, um, 
a while ago, they used to live with this guy called the magician, and he they could just breathe fire, so his ancestors could. And then just uh, down the line, they stopped being able to, but then this little guy could still. Right. So not too sure. So there are four yeah. volumes of this magical tale starring a f- fire-breathing corgi. Um, and this is a the first in a series of uh, short tales, and believe me, they've uh, they've spoilt spelt tales with an A I L S as opposed to the A L E S, which is very adorable. The um, best. And we get a bunch of short stories um, co-written by uh, Christian Slade's family. Um, some of them are kind of like g- dream sequences. They're all beautifully um, penciled by Christian Slade. His pencils are so good. Yeah, these huh? arts are so good. Like you can tell when there's shadows and everything leaning over objects. It's always so good. Um, and uh, the the hatching on the, the the his fur is 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 really really intricate and beautiful. There's a great tale with uh he sees a cat in the clouds while they're flying a kite in the first short ta- tale. Yeah. And there's some beautiful clouds in there too. Yeah. Um, did this give you the same experience you get from reading the long form? How much narrative is there in a corgi book? I mean, you're lucky to get a speech bubble that even makes like a grunted noise. Like so most of the time. What is the it, does it just get up to like weird antics like? Jumping into cakes and stuff, or what? Uh, no, I mean, like, there's usually like a little adventure of just him and Ivy, so Sprout and Ivy, um, and then they encounter monsters and stuff. So, like, usually the volume's like, I want to say twice as thick as this is one long story, and it's just like one, like a like a book, like a day in the life. Yeah, this one's just a bunch thing. of short stories. Yeah. How does it rate? Do you prefer your 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 corgi tales in short or long form? I mean, I like all corgis, so <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. This is just like really easy. You don't even have to know anything about the corgis to see these things as opposed to picking up a volume four and not knowing anything that was going on. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. recommend this to someone who wanted to give a child their first comic, especially yeah. if it's someone who doesn't necessarily know how to read yet. They can follow the yeah. pictures and uh, watch it like, like a movie. Yeah, and I think without language, you can actually understand this no matter what language you speak. You don't even have to know English. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah, this is a cool little, cool little cute little book. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, if you like Lynn's uh, dog thoughts, she's actually written a. Um, oh, is that for this? When is that coming? It's coming out coming out this week. Finally, the uh, Serious Issues Patreon mailing list features contributions from both Lynn and Jim uh, Jim Bone. Oh, uh, I can be Lynn Bone. Lynn Bone. Oh wow, I love it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Wayne Bone is weird though. No, that's way weird. <laughs> Wayne doesn't belong. <laughs> um, but. Uh, Lynn, if uh, people want to follow you online, you can find uh, your... Do you do much dog stuff? It's all comic stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have a Twitter, but it's not really... We, it's just my it's life. Cup of Lynn? Cup Twitter, of Lynn, yeah. But then Red Hood Wonder on, uh, on, on Instagram, Instagram is, yeah. is where to go to get your regular comic reviews. Yeah. Which is good. I've been enjoying... You've been, you've been up in the ante lately. Like, it's like three comic reviews going up a week. It's good. I mean, they're not highly reviewed. It's just a picture and then I say one thing. <laughs> Some people like the bite size. It's the Corgi <laughs> short tales of comic book reviews. Yeah, this is going to be later up after my lunch break. Corgi tales. What was your? You gonna put your favorite panel up, or are you gonna put the cover? Oh, I just put both covers. Okay. There's, there's no one favorite panel. Oh, so you 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 got both of the covers, cover A and B. Of course, of course. Come on, Levens, please. <laughs> I've got both covers. How many other good Corgi books are there? Because the Mockingbird, which you mentioned earlier, has some great Corgi stuff in it. Unfortunately, I haven't read Volume Two, where the Corgi convention is. Everyone keeps telling me to read it. I haven't gone there yet. Good, did get it now. I know it's in my box. I'm just gonna get there eventually. I haven't read it. Um, I don't know. Astro Studio. I haven't gone to the part with the Corgi yet. Oh yeah, that's that's a fun one. Yeah, you're a long way to go. You have like yet. you have two decades worth of comics before yeah. the, a corgi shows up in Astro City. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and then there's Cowboy Bebop with that smart, super intelligent corgi, Iron. But that's all I know. All right, Corgi Watch continues on Serious Issues. Thanks, Lynn, for joining us. Nice. No Thanks, guys. See you.
Back to you, Levins. <laughs> Great stuff, man. Oh, every time. Wait, no, I think I said um, back to you, Levins. So let's pretend like... Oh. I, 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 oh um, <laughs> thanks, Levins. <laughs> Here we are with Serious Issues at King's Comics. Uh, we're doing first things first. With my friend Wayne Hunt. We are going to review all the number ones. Uh, finish re- reviewing all the number ones from last week. Thanks so much to Lynn. Stick into it. Um, so let's talk about Time and Vine. Hmm. Okay, first of all, why isn't it called Time and Wine? <laughs> yeah. This is a book uh, through IDW. It's by, written and drawn by Thomas F. Zala. Actually, I'm not going to lie. Until you said it just then, I actually thought it was Time and Wine. Me too, until I read it. And then I was... As soon as you said that, I had to double... Oh, it is just a V. It should be Time and Wine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, wine comes from vines. Right. Uh, everyone knows you have to crush the vines oh, man, to what, make wine. What did you think of this issue before I... Okay, so this is a time travel story in which... In order to travel through time, a old man who has a, uh, a bar and cellar, um, you drink a bottle of wine, and depending on the year of its vintage, you go back to that. That you have an hour, however much of the wine you drink dictates how long you spend in that era. But yep. you go back in time. You can't alter anything, but it is a way of traveling back to see how things were. It's not on purpose, but here's a little bit of creep factor going on. Massive creep factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, he it's basically like he's seducing women to his cellar so they can drink wine and time travel. So I'm a massive. I, I love wine, um, and I uh, I was very excited when the, when this started. Basically, an old man picking up a, a really old bottle of wine, and there's a bit of big bunch of wine speak. Um, and uh, I, I was like, oh man, this is gonna be like a westernized Drops of God, which is an amazing manga about wine, which is really over the top and fun. But then uh, when the uh, he takes it back to his bar and has it put it down in his cellar and then starts talking to a younger woman who is bored and all her friends have taken her out to take her mind off her dying mother or something like that. Yeah. And then he uh, invites her down to his cellar. The mother has Alzheimer's super- or something, doesn't oh, right. she? Yeah, something like yeah. yeah. Well, Sorry to everyone, anyone with Alzheimer's <laughs> that, that's listening. You're not really dying. I just know nothing about diseases. Also, it's probably not a disease. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, this old man um, says, do you want to go back in time with me? And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about, you dumb old man? And then they have a, uh, this sip from this wine and sure enough, it takes them back to the 20s or something. All I really wanted out of this issue was wine cops. That's what I wanted. <laughs> Friend and, uh, and previous guest on the show, John Valenzuela. In fact, uh, 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 ex-employee of King's Comics. Oh, there we go. Um, he, he writes a, a zine called The Tilted Page and uh, he has a, a regular feature called Wine Cops. That's what I wanted this to be. I really wanted that to be this and it wasn't. Um, there are two super cops who just go uh, around uh, arresting people for crimes against wine. <laughs> It's great, <laughs> which is which is a lot more tasteful than this issue. Uh, Look, there were there were parts of this book that I liked. I yeah. think that that concept actually is a kind of clever one. I just think the I didn't like the art at all. I was going to say the art did not work for me. I don't know if it's on purpose, but you know, it, time traveling wine drinkers and uh, Back to the Future had a very Back to the Future feel to it with the art, uh, but it didn't marry up to me. It didn't didn't match the story and. I mean, not a lot really happened either. I'm I'm very okay with with that part of it. I think the small amount that did happen, like the the, the a lot the of female character that that that, that gets employed yeah, to go back in time with Megan, this creepy yeah. old man. I I didn't Megan think and she. Jack. I thought she was quite. She was written quite annoyingly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and you're right. I, I ended. It, it's a very long issue in which not that much happens. Yeah. Uh, and then I mean, they tr- they time travel. I mean, it's all about the building the the characters of Jack and Megan, and that's fine. I think they did that well. I do agree with you. Like Megan came across very whiny. 
Hey. I'm in a work. Hey. Get it? See what Did I you did get there? It? You didn't. You didn't see it. <laughs> no. Um, you know, like a friends are throwing her a party to to make her feel better, and she's sitting at the bar complaining about it. You got creepy old Jack who's trying to sneak people down to his cellar. Uh, and obviously, he's got his own issues going on with the, with his wife. That not not everything's been away, yeah. yeah, not that everything's been explained with that. But and they go back in time just to watch the moon landing on television yeah. again. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. There's seen a- one moon landing, seen them all. I guess I. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, look, I I, I I I didn't love this book at all, but I I, I, I was invested enough to finish reading it. <laughs> we want wine cops, goddamn it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> will, will you read another issue of Time and Vine? I'm out. I'm tapping out on this I think one. If, like, he's de- he's a better writer than he is an artist. I think in in another artist more like his 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 cartooning. If if, if this was like a um like a, a strip, yeah, it would totally suit. But in a, as a long form comic, I think his art is far too simple and the coloring. Yeah, it looks yeah, like I a just... shockwave. It looks like like a, like a uh, like late '90s shockwave flash animation. I just feel like it needed another element to tie it all together. Like maybe they could have went into the wine a little bit more. Yeah, or I something like that. Like that but uh, the art just kind of took me out of it. Just, just I didn't feel like the seriousness of the the issue. I felt like lost its gravity once with that style of artwork. All right, over to another IDW first issue or, or zero issue. Sorry, this week um, it's a zero issue for Ducktales. Now, um, Ducktales. Did you grow up with Ducktales the cartoon? I did. What about the Carl uh, Banks comics? Uh, no, I didn't. Carl like Banks this. or Carl Barks? Uh, but thank you, thank you, Jim. I didn't like Save this me. issue at all. Okay, let me just introduce it first. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, uh, DuckTales is uh, like a you know famous uh, afternoon. Uh, DuckTales, um, There, I went on tour with um, S Club 7, except it was just two of them, so it was S Club 2 <laughs> at the start of the year. And they have a song that's called Reach for the Stars. And I'd never heard it before. And they were, I, I, I was their DJ, so I had to play their songs. And it's like, reach for stars. Oh. And it's like, bump, 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 bump. And, and, and I was like, man, this sounds like a lot like DuckTales theme. Man. So the last show, um, they played, they ended with that. So they, they played that song. And as it ended, I mixed DuckTales into it. <laughs> and one of them was like, what the fuck are you doing? And the other one was like, oh, my God, they do sound similar. <laughs> like in front of like a few thousand people. <laughs> In Perth. Yes, that's the best. <laughs> um, so anyway, DuckTales, uh, this beloved 90s franchise, um, ha- is, uh, has been rejigged, uh, featuring a few comedians like Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec that I like. Um, they're, uh, they're basically, it's a, it's a new new animated version that's coming to, uh, to screens very soon. And uh, alongside that, we now have a, a bunch of, a new, st- it's very, m- this much leans on the, uh, the com- comedic side of DuckTales. So it's a comedy comic for kids um, written by Joe Caramanga, with um, uh, art by Paolo Campinotto, Andrea Greppi, and Gianfranco Florio. Uh, very obviously, you should note that uh, DuckTales is still enormous in, in Italy and, and Europe, and they uh, a lot of the um, a lot of uh, the collect like the, the ongoing kind of Disney comics are, sure. are, are just translated uh, I mean, European ones. Disney's worldwide; it's huge. There's, you know, in, in particular, though, these comics are so massive in Europe. They're crushing well. Okay. Um, anyway, these are this is two short stories. One of them is called "Big Trouble at Little Lake," and the other one is uh, all about the repeating revenge. It's called Re- "The Repeating Revenge of the Screaming Duck," and they're just goofy comics featuring. Oh, I shouldn't say goofy because he's, he's a Disney character too. <laughs> but this is Donald and his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie. 
Um, Uncle Scrooge doesn't show up at all. There's no adventures. That was always my favorite part of DuckTales, both the comics and the show when I was growing up. I loved the adventure part, the comedic side, not so much. Why is Donald talking in this issue? Well, he does talk. But, but you just can't understand. He kind of quacks and like he doesn't talk. Like no, he he has full dialogue. Just kind of, can you can anyone in the room do a Donald impersonation? Nick, anyone? Up. Nick, Nick, do you even know who Donald Duck is? Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that was Nick's actual voice. <laughs> <laughs> I can just I can do the sound. I can't really. I would I would love to know how you nail the Donald Duck word. <laughs> um, but only, yeah, it's only matched by my crusty laugh. Was your, can you do a crusty laugh? Hang on. I bet, he, I bet this is terrible, everybody. <laughs> kind of. That's kind of there. On the spot, that's kind of there. Come on. <laughs> um, so uh, that just sounds like you being gross. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, DuckTales, if you are a kid, if you are for some reason allowed to listen to my Swearfield comic book podcast in which I mostly review comics for adults, uh, this, you would love this DuckTales book. I mean, I tried reading this to my five-year-old and he was pretty disinterested. I've got to say. I thought it was okay. There was a lot going on. If you, if you want a better DuckTales comic, um, a, new, a new collection of uh, the Carl Barks, not Banks, Jim, God. Uh, Carl Barks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uncle Scrooge um, fa- collections. Uh, Fanographics puts out these great big bound collections of um, these reproduced comics, which are unbelievably good to have on your shelf. A new one just came out this week, which I'm going to be reviewing at the end of the month, which is like next week, so I better get reading it. Uh, so yeah, DuckTales issue zero. Um, I guess this is going to be an ongoing series. It's going to go alongside the um, new cartoon series, which is I've I've seen previews of, and it's been quite good. good. Quite good. Yeah, yeah. we're fun. Watch that with your kids. Um, P.S. This is uh, another. This is, a, this is another double dad episode of. Um, it is. It and is. Siobhan's a dad now too. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, from IDW, uh, we got issue one of Rom versus Transformers, and I lasted. I don't know third of the way through this how far did you last I got four pages and then you told me just to stop <laughs> just leave <laughs> look it, if, man. if you love these franchises maybe you'll understand what the fuck is happening but I, I just I don't know I just I mean Rom is like he a cyber space cop is that the deal with him like I know he's, he's like the a, last of his last of the nights and yeah. he, he basically travels around the universe um, destroying dire wraiths which destroyed his home planet was he originally a transformer was no, he, no or they, they crossed no. paths early with the toys right uh, no they were, they were just the same time around the same time okay yeah. the toy was created first and then they made a series the, out of it right. the toy was created first and they made a series okay. out of it they were, then he, so then that's he was, the appeal then, then Marvel had him for a while and um, now it's this own thing at IDW that I, 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 I've read way too many rom comics since we started this podcast. Yeah, you really stuck with him, actually. Like, I didn't. Like, well, there's well, four issues in, yeah. You, you, I kept giving him a chance. I was like, that's more love, than anyone else I know. People so. love this fucking thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that was rom versus Transformers shining armor. <laughs> Not for us. Over to Dynamite right now, and we get a new, another brand new James Bond series. This one uh, by returning writer Andy Diggle uh, and artist. Um, Luca Casalanguida. Um, now these Nailed two it. teamed up for. That was, that was a very good pronunciation. Very Thank you so much. Uh, these guys did a, a James Bond book uh, at the end of last year. It started and it, um, where Warren Ellis's um, run with um, what's his name, Ian Masters or something, yep. um, was very wordy and um, kind of. It, it was it was a very kind of snarky James Bond, which I love. I really loved that book. I thought it was one of my favorite See, books of last year. Yeah. You didn't like that? No, no, I haven't read any of the James Bond. Talk. I've I've heard uh, like you guys praise the 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 new runs of Bond. Well, this Diggle, Diggle came on and did a uh, a short run. Um, was after, it Vigo? After, Vigo or something? No, that the Vargo is the that, Vargo. That, that, that's, that's, right. that's Ellis. Right. Um, but 
Diggle came on shortly after that and did like a short run with with Casalinguida, and uh, it was way more of the kind of sleazy party, right. like part not party animal, but <laughs> James Bond, the party yeah. animal. No, yeah. like you know the, the kind of very sleazy. You know, James Bond fucked it. Like, the womanizer. Four different po- parts of the story, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the womanizer side of, of James Bond, which sure. Warren Ellis kind of hinted at, but in a nice subtle way, where it was like both charming and disgusting at the same time which it should be yeah. I feel like this maybe goes a little bit back the other way but there are some cool moments like this I felt like really feels like they've pulled it off the screen yeah so this I actually loved this issue which is uh, yeah called uh, Kill Chain this is the, 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 the new story they've started uh, probably going to be around like five issues or so um, and uh, yeah I, I connected with this way more than I did their last run together I, I got a real Tim Sale kind of influence on the art. That's I, great. I love that yeah. panel. There's like a silent panel where it's Bond kind of reflecting with a bottle oh, and he's sitting up against the, the window and I, all I shadow, love... All in shadow. Yeah, like that, awesome. that just said Tim Sale to me so much so I love that that, that particular panel so much. That but this, should yeah. be on a shirt. This issue is, looks like it's, it's kind of like an origin story for yeah. the, uh, I guess the, the nemesis of, of Bond in this who is an, an ex-lover of him who, who basically gets put up to betray him and... Um, Winds up dead or does she? She doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I thought this is this is a cool start to a to a run that I'll probably keep up with now. Yeah, I mean, if you love action and you love broads, then this is for you. You wrote that on on a post night, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. What's the polar opposite of James Bond? Oh man, this thing. <laughs> Betty Page, um, the, uh, the the famous pinup model oh, from the fifties. Sure. Um, Betty Page. Uh, for some whatever reason, remains a cult figure, um, and now she finally has a comic book. Um, what, what, what are you saying, Jim? Whatever reason. Whatever reason. <laughs> too good. Oh, very, very good. Scott's holding up his fingers and saying two good reasons, and I believe <laughs> that's his, her looks and personality is what he's referring to. Um, the Secret Diary of Betty Page, Chapter One, Hollywood Bound. This is written by David Avalone and art by Colton Worley. Um, there, this, this. Uh, issue had like 20 variants and some of them are real yeah. gross yeah <laughs> yeah um some of them got had, had to have like if, even just in the picture like, the, the previews of them have, they're all blacked out it's censored yeah censored although yeah. the alien one's kind of funny I find that's it. the grossest one that's though hilarious she's like bound in an alien spaceship <laughs> it's so ridiculous and she's wearing I don't know what the, what the hell is she wearing <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and, then and then there's like six different versions of just the alien one. Yep. <laughs> Creepy. Yep. Um, so the artwork within this, again, it's that watercolory kind of, uh, the painted oil painting kind of vibe. I, yeah. thought, I thought it was, the art was definitely the strongest thing about this book. Um, and, and it w- wasn't pervy artwork at all. Considering how pervy all well, of the... Uh, the first couple of pages, I thought it was leading to that. But then it definitely took a swing. Like, the adventure sort of takes off. But man, there are just some super, super corny lines through this that I, I was just, expecting that but I I was going to say but for the era yeah I kind of I kind of gave it a pass but uh, so basically this is her like applying for film roles and then accidentally getting involved in like an adventure involving lightning I don't fucking know it was weird and like kind of witchcrafty stuff or I don't know yeah I don't even know it just looked like a light with a busted globe really right again <laughs> I read this drunk <laughs> I wish I was drunk reading this um, uh, I won't be reading another issue of this it definitely isn't for me but I also don't want to know the kind of person that it is for so. I mean and it's just so uh, 
so convenient. Everything's so convenient throughout this issue as well. Like she leaves a letter for her boss to find her. Like whatever the boss was just out all day and never got the letter. Like come on, like it's just everything's just super super convenient, super corny, and a super pass for me. Yep. There's a good kick to the, swift kick to the nuts at one point though. <laughs> yeah. And like she kicks him with such force that he like gets lifted off the ground. That's pretty mad. <laughs> Good move. Um, oh, boy. Boom Studios this week put out Kurt Sutter, oh. the creator of Sons of Anarchy's new property, Sisters of Sorrow, which featured, um, every single variant of this featured a, uh, a nun with a gun. And yeah. I was like, hell yeah, nuns with guns. I want to punish a nun. I want to punish a nun. Oh, <laughs> and the, nun the nunisher. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell was the nunisher? That's, that's, what the comi- that's what the cover said to me. Like, uh, I picked this up. And this was definitely one I was going to pick up because the cover just sold me. You know, it did what a front cover should and be like, intrigue you enough to pick up and have a flick through. Yeah. It done that. But I wanted gun-wielding nuns killing our sins, you know? Like, I wanted I wanted punishing nuns. And it, if you hate men, you will love this issue. You wrote that on your fucking post. I didn't you? fucking wrote you it because it's true. You were so clever. It's so <laughs> true. I, but the thing is, though, this is, a half, this is written by a dude with Courtney, this is Kurt Sutter, the creator of Sons of Anarchy, with Courtney oh, Alameda, who is man. a novelist, um, uh, illustrated by Hyunjin Kim, and colors by Jen Pork Suka. Um, this was the most heavy-handed book I've read in a long while. I'm all for a, uh, a comic that it's about uh, a group of um, uh, survivors, basically. Uh, Domestic like violence survivors. survivors. So they live uh, in a, a house for... Yeah. Like and, a halfway house, I want to say? Uh, I think, yeah, just a, a house, of, house of survivors of domestic sure, violence. Sure. And, um, Which uh, there are no men. Right, yeah, well, I mean... One in every three. I'm sure there are... D- I, I, one in every three victims are male. Don't be fucking that guy. Internet, I love you. The nunisher is going to come and get you, <laughs> Um but uh, and I'm sure there are domestic house survivor houses for men too. Right? I'm right? It's very. Sexist. There aren't. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't realize Kings was full of MRAs. <laughs> and now you know. <laughs> um, so this is a sorrow. Yeah, basically, like a, a an ex an ex lover breaks into the um, their house and shoots and kills his his uh, ex partner, um, and then um, one of the how other you, women in the in the in the, uh, this is in the in the first first yeah, few pages. You were in the in the actual house, though. To begin, was it four or five of them? I want to say. Sure. I mean, I don't know. It could be. It could be a multi-level complex. Well, I mean, in that scene, I think there's four, four, four women. Five, five, five women. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Five. They're all pretty chill about killing a dude. No, they're not. They're- Misha's the only character in there that kind of has a little bit of uh, guilt that follows through the rest of it. The rest of them are pretty chill, and then to get to the end of the issue, and. They, they they very very quickly decide to become vigilantes. Who yeah, target, man, they're not vigilantes. They're just murderers. Like, <laughs> I mean, they ram a guy off the road because because he he didn't he he didn't like uh he went to trial for killing um this woman's daughter and um and and he got got let off and so, so they take it take the law into their own hands. Punish your styles. What this, what would Frank do? <laughs> WWFD. Uh, known sane Marvel character, the Punisher. I mean, he's trying to. He's like, like they've run him off the road, and he, he slammed his car, so he's in a bit of a state. So he's he's trying to tell her that it wasn't him. She doesn't really want to hear his explanation. She just pops a cap in his head. She knows that, that you're literally describing every single issue with the Punisher. I don't think you're hating this for the wrong reasons. I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, man, like. I think this. this it wasn't was, punishing nuns. I'm sorry. It wasn't the nunisher. <laughs> it wasn't the nunisher. <laughs> I just think, yeah. I think from a, none of the characters are particularly interesting or well written, and uh, the the story moves far too quickly and conveniently. There is a character who just he's like 
one of their brothers and he has a massive armory and it's <laughs> yeah. just like hell yeah take all yeah. the guns you need go for it guys <laughs> so he's the punisher in this the- <laughs> but uh actually you know i'll just shout all over this issue but the one thing i did find that did work well was the uh i suppose the different relationships between the the, the female characters that actually played off quite well you know they both ca- they all came across with their own personality so there was that yeah so there's the the very headstrong one yeah then there's the one who kind of is a bit guilty and then there are two that are neither of those is that are they the different personalities you're talking about kind of but you know you get a glimpse of them like when they're i don't know i want to say training two personalities between four you know, it sounds about that's good right one of them's there the, like the shooting range taking selfies of herself and <laughs> what really yeah oh yeah that's right yeah pretty mad all right, anyway, I don't need to read it. Yeah. Un- unless a nun shows up with a gun in the actual pages. We want Nunisha Marvel. Yep, Nunisha. We need it. Um, <laughs> final book for us to review together is Miraculous, issue one, out through oh. Action Lab this week. The Adventures of Ladybug and Cat Noir. Um, now, at no point on the front cover does it say, oh, I wait, on the inside it does. <laughs> it should be like, warning, this is a pre... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Existing kids show. Yeah. I, I, I launched straight on this, this book and I was just like, what the fuck is going on in yeah, this Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it's an issue one. It's a great cartoon. The cartoon's Jim. fantastic. I watch it with my son all the time. So what, what, what's the cartoon about? I've never seen it before. Um, is it like weird CGI? Animation? No, the animation is really, really done nice and clean. Right. Um, oh, man, I don't even know how to explain it. Basically, yeah, you get these little, I want to say they're like little floating emojis that give them power. Uh, there's Mothhawk, the bad dude, I think. Mothhawk, I want to say. Right. Um, so he's hellbent on uh, destroying them. Um, Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's all confusing. It's a kid's show. It's like, it's a full, I don't know, like this issue. Um, the Tales from Paris part, which I think was the first story. Which is all about the, her, the him, her, yeah. It's a, a, clearly a dude writing a little girl who's in love with, has a crush on a guy. Like, it, it was, was such so a boring. pointless story. So, yeah. it's about her talking to her emoji, pretending to ask him out to a movie. Her friends come in. Who are you talking to? No one. No, you're not. Oh, you're right. Ha, ha, ha. End of story. Yeah. 
The next one is a, a more action-based <laughs> uh, sports story in which... I don't even remember. What do I have, like, yo-yos or something in this book? And they have magic yo-yos and then it turns them into... So he's like... He's like uh, the yo-yo is kind of like a remote. Right. So he can fast forward and rewind so like you know like someone gets hit in the head with a ball he can rewind it over and over so they continuously get hit in the head and so it was just it was just really weird it didn't try and introduce nah. anyone who wasn't aware of their powers or anything like that to what they can do it just like gave you a completely unrelated story to begin with about relationships and then the second story was suddenly like this bonkers tale of revenge and powers and stuff like that and i mean essentially you're only picking this up if you're watching the show which you do so how was so... it <laughs> I'd rather watch the show. All right. Well, it's been that uh, Scott yep. from Kings is letting us know that there have been five graphic novels based on this already, and uh, very popular ones. Yeah, and they, and there's a sell. and a card game called Miraculous Throwdown. Oh yeah. You know what game is better than cards, Wayne? What's that? Rolling the motherfucking dice. Roll that for dice. Image, DC or Marvel. And that is what we're going to do before you say goodbye today. Ew. Those are all our number one reviews. And uh, now I'm going to review by myself, uh, like a true pro, uh, all of uh, Marvel, Image, DC, and the other publishers' regular issues from last week. <laughs> but uh, in order to let me know which I need to talk about first, uh, Wayne's going to roll the dice for yes. me. One to two is Marvel. Three to four is Image. And five to six is DC. Come let him rip, Wayne. I'm coming up in the world. Here we go. Daddy needs a new pair of socks. Number one. Number one. So we talk about Marvel first. Great. <laughs> Get the Second wind roll. about Secret Empire again. Uh, come on, let it out, let it out. That's uh, one again. Just hurry up, just be faster. Come on, Lady Luck. Come on, Lady Luck. One God again. damn, three snake, ones. Three snake eyes. Snake eyes? <laughs> three. three. All right, so Marvel, Image, and then DC. Same as every week, I think. <laughs> Thanks so much to Wayne uh, for joining us Cheers. for First Things First. You have a regular podcast about the NBA. Yes. Uh, so any of you comic-loving hoop heads out there, I know there's a few. Uh, you <laughs> comic-loving can... hoop heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're out there. We exist, goddammit. Uh, you can head over to the Courtside Podcast. You can find us at crtsde.podbean.com. Over there, you'll get the links to the show, uh, to the Facebook page. You know, much like Serious Issues, we have our own sort of community going on where we talk a lot of trash and watch a lot of hoops. So, yeah, welcome to come join and support the show. Thanks so much, Wayne. Pray for me. Okay, and welcome back to another episode of Levin's Gradually Loses His Mind as he reviews 40-plus comics by himself in the King's Comic back office. Thanks so much to Wayne for uh, helping me. Uh, with the firsts, but we've got many numbers that are not one to review, and we're going to start things off with Marvel Secret Empire number six, uh, written by Nick Spencer, with art by Lionel Francis Yu and Rod Reyes, with colors by Joshua Cassara. Um, this uh, is the point in every Marvel event where you go, "Oh no, there's still fucking five issues left or something," uh, and uh, it just it just seems to really pad out a conflict um, and take take like an entire issue a bloated issue at that to just tell what happened over two scenes or something like that um that said i still made this is still the first comic that i read um off of my stack this week so there is still part of me that really wants to see what happens in this book which maybe leads to me being more disappointed when very little happens we discover the um oh actually i don't know we, yeah yeah we did, we discover the true identity of the of the mole but then there aren't really any consequences of that um, there's a there's a Hulk. Um, I don't know if it's the Hulk. I think it might be the Ultimate Hulk who shows up. Um, and uh, there's I don't know a bunch of stuff happens. Look, it's an event book in every sense of the word, mostly the senses of the word that suck because 
Look, it doesn't quite suck yet. It's not quite Civil level, War Level 2. I'm having a nervous breakdown just trying to review Secret Empire, to be honest. Maybe if Shinbone was here to tell me it was fine, this would be way easier. So let's just go with Secret Empire 6, still fine. Secret Empire Brave New World number 4. Um, this is the little uh, kind of uh, anthology book that comes out for Secret Empire featuring different stories uh, across different parts of the Marvel Universe written by different creators. Uh, there is a uh, pretty fun-ish Misty Knight uh, story, um, but I turn straight to the Emma Frost story because it has art by Kate Niemczyk, who you will know from uh, that great Chelsea Kane Mockingbird run. Um, and I was happy to see her her name on this. I want to see some more of her art. Unfortunately, it's like a four-page Emma Frost story um, that kind of contradicts her the character's involvement in the uh, in, in Secret Empire because she's kind of undercover as another character at the moment. So I wasn't really sure if the writer had actually been kind of brought up to speed as to where this character sits in, in Secret Empire. But in any case, it was four pages long. Who gives a shit? Uh, next, uh, two, two, we had two books that were set within the Secret Empire um, universe, um, like crossovers. Um, and one of them was very... Actually, both of them were pretty good. Um, one of them being very pretty good, though. And that is uh, issue 23 of Doctor Strange, written by Dennis Hopeless with um, art by uh, Nico Henrichon. Um, Dennis Hopeless had the, uh, the, the pretty hard-to-manage hard to feat of um, following uh, Jason Aaron and Chris Pacello's run. Um, he's, he's the writer on this now, and not only does he have to follow up that great run, he also has to tie it in The Secret Empire. And I have to say that he's doing a really good job of creating this really fun book that uh, basically it's a kind of big team-up between Doctor Strange, Spider Woman, Ben Urich, the um, the reporter, and uh, Kingpin, and uh, basically them trying to beat Baron Mordo uh, using different magical artifacts. And um, obviously, like the uh, the big thing, the big theme of Aaron's Doctor Strange run was that all magic comes at a price. There's a cost behind all, all the magic you use, and um, someone like Wilson Fisk doesn't give a shit about that. Um, and it was uh, it was very cool to see the way they use Ben Urich in this. I have had a lot, a lot of fun reading this. This is a really really fun adventure book, um, and uh, as good as um, Jason Aaron's stuff, even though it's tying into an event that should you know really make it not as good. But against all odds, this book's very fun. Uh, U.S. Avengers was just one of three books that Al Ewing wrote for Marvel this week, issue number eight. Uh, basically, uh, this this kind of brings in our, uh, Iron Man's origin story because we have the uh, granddaughter of Yinsen, who was the guy that assisted Tony Stark help build build, build his armor and then sacrificed his life so that Tony could escape. Um, and it has her in a similar situation uh, where she has to um, help Roberto da Costa, um, who was the leader of U.S. Avengers, but he's he's a uh, basically dying in a, in a hydra cell and it's up to her to um, create, invent something that can help him escape. And I really enjoyed that part of the story. I think it goes in it. Uh, it, it, it was really fun again, you know, managing to make some m- much more interesting drama than what you're seeing in the, um, in the, in the main secret empire book. But then uh, the B story is uh, you have a bunch of us Avengers. You've got squirrel girl and enigma who are currently in Europe I wonder if Al Ewing knew that, like, when he signed up to do a book called The U.S. Avengers, he'd be stranding some of, half of the team in Europe by issue seven and eight. Um, I, feel, I sound like a, a weird patriot, like, God damn it, I read, I read this book for Americans. What are these French people doing in my U.S. Avengers? Uh, I'll never do that accent again. Sorry, everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that B story wasn't 
nearly as fun, even though um, Captain Britain was in it, and I love me some Captain Britain. Uh, the Ultimate Squared was another F. Al Ewing's book, uh, books this week with um, art by Travel Foreman, uh, and this uh, is the uh, great big, um, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? The Space <laughs> Cosmic, <laughs> the big cosmic, uh, cosmic book that he's writing uh, featuring um, the Ultimates team and then all of the big celestial um, beings, including Eternity and all the uh, different entities, like uh, you've got the new status quo for um, Galactus as the life bringer. Um, and so well, I think it's quite clever. Clever. He's actually juggling a lot of characters um, between the Ultimates and the US Avengers. Um, you see cameos from char- characters that have appeared in those books appear in each other's book this week, which was fun. Um, but uh, this issue basically brings back characters from the Ultimate Universe, which... I mean, I guess is fun. The, ne- the, 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 the front cover of the next issue, um, Ultimates number 10 or whatever, um, which happens to be, I don't know what that, I, I think, I think it's like, it's going, it's, it's like a, you know, if you, if you add up all of the Ultimates books from when it was the Ultimate Universe plus these series, it's a, it's a, it's a number of some note. That, so they're doing some big crossover between the original Ultimates team that Mark Millar wrote and, uh, yeah, it's the hundredth issue somehow, um, so it's these current ultimates versus the original ultimates. And uh, I don't know if that's a, a, a well I really care about going back to, because if you go back and read those ultimates books, they're not really as good as everyone remembers them being. But uh, I don't know. Who knows? Al Ewing is a good, good writer. Hopefully they'll do something interesting with these characters coming back together. Uh, the final book he wrote was probably my favorite of the three that he uh, wrote this week. Um, and it was Royals issue number five um, with awesome art by um, Tony Salas on this book. And this is the... Uh, this is the Inhumans book uh, featuring Medusa, Maximus the Mad, Crystal, Gorgon, Swain, Marvel Boy, and Flint, who have all been trapped in their own minds as they get accused by Ronan the Accuser. And um, they had a lot of fun with uh, each of the Inhumans escaping their their, their own minds um, as they proved, like, kind of out-accused Ronan the Accuser. And uh, we see some great growth of Ronan, who's a character that hasn't really been used that well over the last couple of years. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I hope he sticks on with this book because I like Al Ewing's take on this character. Um, there's some really fun future stuff. Um, future stuff's always great fun in a big cosmic book um, featuring Maximus the Mad uh, talking to the future accuser who uh, we, who is revealed at the end uh, with this awesome new uh, costume design by um, Javier Rodriguez who is going to be the ongoing artist as of issue 9. So I'm um, looking forward to him coming on board. He's one of my favorite Marvel artists. Uh, Keeping things cosmic for a moment, All New Guardians of the Galaxy, issue number six by Jerry Duggan, uh, sees the return of Aaron Cuda on art um, for a story that brings back a lot of things that um, I loved about uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's uh, cosmic run. Um, We see um, Adam Warlock, uh, Pip the Troll, uh, and most excitingly, the Darkhawks make a return in this. And um, we see a lot of fun action scenes as uh, different Guardians take down um, the Dark Hawk, Dark Hawks who are attacking them in different fun, creative ways. Uh, most fun, most excitingly, uh, Groot gets in, get on, like baby Groot gets on in the action and kills a bunch of them. It's fun. Killing is great, everybody. It's really fun, especially in space. If I always want to kill, kill anybody, it would definitely be in space. So uh, yeah, this is a fun run. One of the better books that Marvel are putting out, uh, but not as good as uh, just Marvel's best best book from the last five years. I think every time it comes out, it's always like my favorite book of the week, pretty much. Uh, the Mighty Thor, issue number 21, Jason Aaron uh, with uh, guest artist Valerio Shiti. Um, this one continues the story of the War Thor, which is uh, the uh, 
the the new the new character name for Volstag. Um, he basically has a he has the old Ultimate Thor's hammer. A lot of Ultimate stuff going on this uh, this week at Marvel. Uh, he's got the Ultimate Ultimate hammer, and he is now uh, like a, the bringer of of war. Um, and uh, he has moments where he gets overcome by the lust of war. Um, but then moments where he realizes like that he's Volstagg, what is he doing? This is not who he is. I must stop this killing. But the, uh, the, the, the Thor of war ov- overcomes these, uh, these weak feelings. And, uh, it's just another really, really fun element to this already extremely fun and long, very long. Um, and hopefully will be very celebrated when it finally finishes. Although I hope it never does finish. It's a very good series. Um, it looks like they're setting up the final, um, the final stages of Jane Foster as Thor. Um, as we move towards the death of Jane Foster, uh, what's called it? Sorry, the let legacy from it's it's they're going back to the original Thor numbering. So with issue seven hundred in a few months, uh, we get the death of the mighty Thor. So I don't know. Hopefully Jane Foster doesn't actually die, but it looks like that cancer is it's getting pretty strong. Uh, Invincible Iron Man this week by Brian Bendis, Stefano Caselli, and Marte Gracia uh, was a, a strange issue, um, which features um, Riri Williams um, take down a bunch of Doombots. And um, there is a long conversation between two AI units. One of them is uh, Tony Stark's AI, and the other is Friday, his Tony Tony Stark's old AI thing that he had in his head. I don't know. Um, if you like robots or artificial intelligence, is talking to each other while Mary Jane. I mean, who would have thought that like uh, Peter Parker's ex-wife would get divorced only to question whether AI units should be allowed to talk to each other? when she's not in the same room as them. But that's what happens in this issue, and it was kind of fun, I guess. Uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe again, issue two. I'm only reading this because Siobhan can't tease me for, for enjoying it. Um, this is written by Cullen Bunn with Dalibor Talajic on pencils and Goran Suzuka on inks. Oh, so that's what Goran Suzuka is doing. He was doing great work over on Daredevil, and Daredevil this week was unreadable because the artwork was no good at all. And Suzuka should be on that book permanently because the him, and, him and Charles Soule are a good match. Anyway, um... Deadpool is making his way through all of the spider characters of um, of the Marvel Universe in this uh, fun, dumb Elseworlds tale. Um, and uh, I think what's, what's most fun about this and really flexes the artist's uh, muscles is that occasionally it will like drop to, like at one point, it, 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 as he, when he kills Peter Parker, he, uh, it, it, it jumps into like this, uh, like a old kind of golden age or silver age kind of style um, Bende Dot uh, comic in which they... He and Deadpool and Spider-Man enter a fruit pie eating contest for charity, but it turns out all these fruit pies that Deadpool's eating is actually Peter Parker's face. Happens to the best of us. Uh, he then kills other characters that don the spider stuff, and there's some cool different art changes up, change ups, including a fun um, 2099 sequence, which goes back to the original um, series from the uh, 90s. Um, yeah, uh, look, it's 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 you know what you're going to get when you read it. It's Deadpool killing all, all of the. Uh, Marvel characters. It's a little bit sad, but mostly it's just goofy and fun and violent. Uh, Luke Cage, issue number three, written by David F. Walker, with um, art by Nelson Blake II. I think this is the last issue I'm going to read of this run. I think it's, it reads like a very castrated version of a character that I love uh, by a writer who I love writing this character that I love. Um, there is not much to love about this series. I just find it really dull, and um, I, very little of what I love about the character can be found in this story and very little of what I like about David F. Walker's writing can be found in this story too. So I think rather than shitting on it every time it comes out, I'm just going to not read anymore. Um, So too, uh, I'm going to be dropping uh, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man 
uh, written by Chip Zdarsky and uh, Andy Cubit. Um, uh, sorry, Adam Cubit, the worst Cubit. Um, uh, this book, yeah, it's issue two of this book just came out, and um, there was enough about issue one. Like I wasn't, I was a hundred percent wasn't on board with it, but like the jokes made me laugh, and I, I liked you know seeing Johnny Storm and Peter Parker together again. But there was just too many like there was like way too much like a uh, long flashback explanation stuff in this issue and this stuff with his sister who is an agent coming back and look i just there was nothing in this book that appeals to me as a spider-man fan so i am not going to be reading anymore finally I'm gonna, before we move on to other publishers i'm going to check back in with the thor ragnarok prelude book um written by corona pilgrim um sorry uh Will Corona Pilgrim, without by J. L. Giles and J. David Ramos. You'll remember last time when I reviewed number one, I laughed that instead of it being an actual prelude to Thor Ragnarok, it was just a comic retelling of the Incredible Hulk movie. Um, and this part two is just part two of the Incredible Hulk movie, the Edward Norton one. And uh, as that ends, it then says, next, part three of the Thor Ragnarok prelude, prelude is just going to be the Dark World, Thor the Dark World. So that's what we're going to get next. I can't wait to review that for you by just telling you what it was. Uh, let's move over to Image right now because it's the next uh, publisher I need to talk about. And I'm going to obey the rules of the, of the dice this week. Um, I, I fear the wrath of the dice at all times. Kill the Minotaur, number two, um, written by uh, Chris Pesetto and Christian Cantamessa. Um, with art by Lucas Kettner and colors by Jean-Francois Bellou. Um, this is the Skybound book that is uh, all about... Um, oh, God damn it. Uh, is, Jim, is Minotaur Rome or Greece? <laughs> it's Greek. Cool. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> it's a voice in my head now, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is uh, basically... Um, it, it, last, last, last issue, we, we were introduced to all these characters who went to go infiltrate... Um, uh, the, uh, the 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 labyrinth of of the Minotaur. Um, they didn't even realize it. Didn't even think it was real. But now they find themselves all stuck in this uh, cool living uh, labyrinth um, and uh, watching their different um, friends and fighters get picked off one by one. There's all kinds of magical bullshit going on and betrayal and spooky Minotaur stuff. Um, it's really fun. It's gory uh, and uh, just kind of classic. Kind of classic what you would expect from the Skybound imprint now. It reminds me actually a lot of the um, Manifest Destiny series, which I came to love quite a lot. It has a similar tone, even though they're very different settings. So uh, give that a shot if you're a fan of that other one. Uh, Royal City, number five, uh, written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. Um, this is uh, probably the saddest issue of this extremely sad series in which uh, we... Um, we see the the father of the family who uh, we learnt had a stroke at the very start of the series. We see him uh, momentarily die, and uh, he's reunited with his with his son through all ages of uh, all the different ages that we've seen this son. We see him visit his entire family um, with his son, um, and he learns different horrible things about each of his family members. And uh, then it comes the the book comes to an end. Uh, this is the end of book one, and it looks like uh, there is a massive cliffhanger featuring a character that I, that I ha- has made very little impact on me so far in this book. So I maybe need to go reread some of the older issues so I can remember who she is. But um, this is the end of book one. It, this book is going to take a little break and come back in October um, with a uh, the whole second arc, arc is called 1993. And uh, if you are a fan of the great back matter, um, Jeff Lemire always includes a mixtape. Um, featuring 10 songs that you know you should listen to um, 
while listen while, while while reading or thinking about this comic, and it's always like some pretty pretty fun indie rock and classic kind of uh, sad rock boys. Um, and it looks like uh, for 1993, even though he includes a lot of 90s stuff on on these mixtapes anyway, but all of the music is going to be from 1993 or earlier. So that'll be fun, fun little kind of extra bonus stuff to get with your comic um invincible 138 uh written by robert kirkman with um art by ryan otley uh this is issue six of 12 the last 12 issues of invincible um and it's totally doing that thing where it's just one big long battle and it looks like at the end of every issue some important character is going to die and um it's kind of boring but i guess this is the way that kirkman has decided to say goodbye to this series by violently killing all the characters that you love, so uh, if you want to, if, if if you uh, want to see which character died, this issue just turn to the third to last page and watch him get ripped in half. Um, although who knows, sometimes people who get ripped in half stay living and have long full lives. No one I know, but in comics maybe. Winnebago Graveyard issue number two, written by Steve Niles. Um, this uh, this when we had with the first issue of this, we kind of were like, what the hell is the point of this book? But um, Steve Niles is—he's very brief in his writing. Not much happens book to book, but he, you know, gradually builds to a bigger story. Um, this uh, book has uh, art by Alison Sampson and colors by Stéphane Petro. Um, and I think this this second issue was a much bigger step up um, compared to the first. This is about the uh, the family who gets stranded in a creepy ghost town um, where there's all kinds of witchcraft going on, and. Um, we saw some fun, like little suspenseful moments as the family try to escape a bunch of creepy witches. Um, I like this book now. I'm definitely going to stick with it. It's fun, and I think Steve Niles is, is a good writer, even though he's certainly not for everybody. Um, Descender, issue number twenty-two. This is Jeff Lemire's very underrated book with Dustin Nguyen uh, about robots and space. Um, and uh, this is the start of a uh, an arc called Rise of the Robots, in which we sign we see another big war between all the robot characters and all the human characters and all kinds of crazy bullshit goes down in this uh, in this issue. Like a, a character that we thought was quite pathetic in the past, finally we see him step up and maybe he's going to make something of himself and be a hero or maybe he's going to be even eviler than all the other evil guys in this book. But um, yeah, it ends with a massive explosion. Potentially six characters we know and love have, have been eviscerated, but I doubt it. I reckon, they, I reckon they space jumped or something like that. That's right, they did improv for 10 minutes to an audience who didn't appreciate their improv. Uh, Bitch Planet, triple feature, number two. I checked back in with this book, even though I do not keep up with the regular Bitch Planet series, uh, even though I totally should. But um, I, I was interested to see the uh, creative talent they had um, doing the, uh, contributing stories to this, um, to this anthology that's set in the Bitch Planet universe. And I, I want to give a special shout out to the middle story, which is called This Is Good For You by Danielle Henderson, Rose Stein, and Ted Brandt. I assume it's written by Daniel Henderson with art by Rose Stein and colors by Ted Brandt. And uh, it was a fun kind of uh, look at um, like a, uh, basically like like a, a protest against um, all of the, you know, expectations on women in this world. Um, and I want to give it a special shout out to the art, which I assume was by Rose Stein. I thought that was just really, really incredible. Um just great, great art that really suited the, the the story and kind of infomercial nature of, of this short really, really well. And the, the colors were matched really well too. So I'm definitely going to, I'm going to kind of keep my eye out for these creators and hopefully they do, they do more, maybe an image book or something like that. That'd be great.
Uh, now we are going to review some DC books and kick things off with Batman issue 27. This is the War of Jokes and Riddles interlude featuring the origin story of uh, a character that Tom King has loved writing in his Batman run so far. And uh, he's been quite a comedic character. I'm talking, of course, about the character of Kite Man, who is uh, one of Batman's foes, who flies on a big kite. And in Tom King's Batman, he says, Kite Man, hell yeah. And those are the only four words that he's said for the entire run so far. But uh, it turns out Kite Man's origin story was tied to this kind of uh, you know event that happened early in Batman's career called the War of Jokes and Riddles, in which the Joker and the Riddler had a big war, and um, he's really that they're they're, they're really uh, they're at each other, and all the different villains in Gotham are choosing choosing sides, and so many casualties on on each side, and of course lots of civilian casualties too. And it turns out that uh, yeah, Kite Man's Kite Man's origin is really really tragic and far darker than I was expecting for such a comedic character. Uh, this issue was very good, but in true Tom King fashion, it really bummed me out and made me sad. Um, but uh, look, it, it looked it looked wonderful, and Tom King is just so so good at kind of really giving every character such great lines and such incredible kind of backstories. I, I, I really think this is a, a very special kind of a special part of this long Batman run he's doing. Uh, the Ballad of Kite Man, part one. So hopefully we get a part two next uh, week after next. Um, I, I especially love, like, this Kite Man seems to get away with murder, especially in terms of, like, pissing off the Joker who kind of finds him funny so he isn't killing him. The uh, back matter of this issue was uh, a, a preview of Mr. Miracle, which is the next thing Tom King is working on with Mitch Gerrards, who uh, was the artist on The Very Good Sheriff of Babylon, uh, and also uh, a few great issues of Batman recently. Um, and, uh, man, it's, they've gone back to the kind of nine-panel nine grid structure that um, we saw in Sheriff of Babylon, um, which Mitch Gerrards obviously loves writing in. Sorry, uh, drawing in, and Tom King probably loves writing in too. But uh, this looks so rare and unique, definitely in line with what, Tom King did on the vision. I'm very excited. Probably my most excited, anticipated book now. If uh, you were in the market of, uh, of pre-ordering things, I would highly recommend pre-ordering the Mr. Miracle run. It looks very good. Um, Aquaman, issue 26. I guess I'm reading Aquaman now. Um, this is written by Dan Abnett, but with art by the reason that I'm reading this book. Uh, Stefan Stepan Sejic I, I guess I fucked his name up, but he does uh, all, the, all the art and color on this book. He has a, a beautiful, a beautiful painted style. And um, just from a writing point of view, this is everything I kind of wanted from Aquaman to begin with. It's it's entirely set underwater. There's no bullshit Earth versus sea politics stuff. Um, it's just kind of exploring the different levels within Atlantis and under the sea. And these there are mutants, and um, there's like all kinds of like weird sea royalty. And everyone thinks Aquaman is dead. And it's really really fun. Um, I've never read anything with this character Crush before. But he's like this kind of like big purple crab guy, and he uses other crabs to spy on people across Atlantis. It was a really fun character, and this is a this is a good run now. I'm I'm looking forward to sticking with Aquaman and seeing where it goes. Um, yeah, it's good to enjoy an Aquaman book because I do like the character. Uh, Superman, on the other hand, written by Tomasi and Gleason, uh, with uh, guest art this week um, by the guy who did the uh, fill-in issue a couple of weeks ago that wasn't written by Tomasi, but his name is Scott Godlewski, who did art on this one. And his art, the art is great. The art is not my problem with this book. That was, at one point, like without question, my favorite book since DC Rebirth started. Uh, this issue is called Declaration, Part 1, and it is like a, just a, a fucking like 24 page lecture from Superman to his dumb kid 
um, who I love. But like, it's just like it's 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 uh, it's like all about Memorial Weekend, right? Um, and uh, so so Lois Lane gets a, a van, and they go on a uh, they soak up. They do it. Sorry, is, is Memorial Weekend Fourth of July, Jim? <laughs> Or is that in, that's just Independence Day? <laughs> Sorry to the majority of our listeners that are American now for some weird reason. Um, your holidays uh, should they should all be named after blockbusters? Because <laughs> that's how it happens. It wasn't the other way around. <laughs> Look, if 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 uh, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith starred in an alien movie called Memorial Weekend, maybe I'd have a better idea of what it was. Um, anyway, it's Fourth of July in Superman this week, and uh, Lois Lane rents a big van. Uh, for them to go cross country and take in a little bit of American history, so it's Superman, John Kent, and and Lois. Uh, they go to a war memorial, and uh, someone's graffitied it. And then there's a big lecture about how graffiti is bad. And then the Lois, um, actually, this was kind of cool. Lois takes him to the grave of Deborah Sampson, who was a um, uh, a woman who, who who poses a man so she could fight in the war. And um, that was kind of like I was like, okay, cool. If they're going to like do like weird little interesting tidbits of war history, I guess that you know that, that that this could be an interesting book. But then they end up going out for dinner, and um, they uh, Clark and Lois um, get. Like pick up a a, a veteran, a homeless veteran who who is kind of uh, begging out the front of a restaurant, and they decide to take him in and, and buy him a meal. And the restaurant owner's like, "Hell no, you can't bring this guy in here. He's not allowed. You're causing a scene. Get him out of here." And um, then Clark lectures the restaurant owner and um, says that he sh- he's, he should be allowed to dine, and like gives a big lecture about how important it is to. Serve, serve your country and paying respect and blah 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 and then because of the lecture that Clark gives the restaurant owner he then offers the veteran a job but not like a good job he's the dishwasher on weekdays starting tomorrow and I just found this whole thing like like uh, like I, I guess just trite from one hand but also like weirdly problematic from an uh, from a writer that I thought had a great handle on on kind of the the dynamics of of what it is to be a young person today versus what it is to be a bit older. Like this, really, just felt like it was written by a fucking 80, 89 year old. And um, weirdly, this is the same guy that wrote Super Sons this week, um, which uh, I'll review next. But Superman, like uh, the, the, this this issue, just felt like it was just a completely different creative team that wasn't in line with anything that we've read this fun hopeful book that celebrates um you know a, a, a 10 year old boy with superpowers um growing up with a super super powered um dad this just felt like like he was being babysat by his crotchety old grandpa um who was trying to teach him a thing or two about the way things used to be and i i, I don't understand what tomasi was trying to achieve with this book anyway super sons issue number six oh, also the worst thing is that it's declaration part one so that means the lecture continues two weeks from now um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Superman will uh, tell John that you shouldn't troll people on the internet or something. I can't wait. Uh, Planet of the Capes Part One was uh, the story that we got in issue six of Super Sons, in which uh, Damien and John encounter the Teen Titans um, as they go out and uh, fight crime together, but with a curfew. Like John Kent has to be back at home by 10 p.m. No ifs, no buts. And I really like that part of it. Like I don't get that. You know, like. like that's parenting that makes sense to me, not the uh, weird lectury bullshit that we got in Superman. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I, I thought this, this 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 book is just like just pure fun, um, as we see um, Robin. Uh, you know, he he he's a completely different person when he when he's around Teen Titans versus what he's like around Superboy. I mean, he's always trying to prove something to all of them, but he you know he he, he doesn't want to be seen hanging out with a ten year old when the Teen Titans are around. And um, obviously, this is very mean to Superboy, and he sends him sends him away. And then he encounters the Time Commander, and the Time Commander um, basically makes Robin really old. So um, Robin goes to Superboy for help at the end, and now he's a crotchety old man. Um, so you know what? Maybe that's what if if Tomasi wanted to do that, he should have made like crotchety old man Robin be the one that. Um, also, yeah, he's now called Old Man Robin, which I, I thought was a very funny way to kind of. Uh, kick a little bit of dirt over at Marvel for Old Man Logan, um, but yeah, maybe if maybe if uh, the weird July Fourth weekend uh, War Memorial uh, tour to 2017 was led by Old Man Robin, I would have been more okay with the lecturing because that would have been in line with the character. Um, Injustice Two Number Six um, is the origin of Supergirl um, within this uh, Elseworlds kind of universe, written by Tom Taylor with art by Mike S. Miller. Um, to go along with the Injustice uh, video games. Uh, we see Kara, um, instead of uh, crash landing in America, she crash lands in um, Kandak, which is home to Black Adam from the Shazam comics. And um, I have not read Injustice. Just, I've just been reading these Injustice 2 books. Um, but uh, I, So I don't really know how he, how he figures into the first Injustice series. But uh, he's, he's written really well in this, and he, he looks up to to Superman so much and decides to take Supergirl under his wing and he kind of tells the the events that we've seen unfurl in on Justice from his point of view and they're, and they're different so it looks like Supergirl is going to break out Wonder Woman and I thought this was a, a really fun story this, this book is this is a really really fun book and every week I review it and I say that it's really good and I should go read the first Injustice and I still haven't yet and maybe I never will what a great podcast Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye issue number 10 I think we recently learnt um, as part of uh, San Diego Comic-Con that uh, Cave Carson and Shade are both going to end at like issue 12 before coming back as a, uh, a DC Universe crossover. Um, but uh, there's already plenty of DC Universe crossover going on in this issue. Um, we see the Metal Men show up, which I thought was really, really fun. Um, and uh, it was cool seeing Michael Avon Oming's um, take on the Metal Men as they uh, kidnap Cave Carson take out his cybernetic eye and use it to power a metal woman. Very exciting stuff. The Wild Storm, issue six, the last DC book I'm going to talk about this week, written by Ryan Ellis with John Davis Hunt, who just gets better on art every issue. Um, everything is really coming along in this 24-part series that uh, brings back all the characters from the Wildstorm universe that you know and love in this new story that's you know, as, as gritty and gory as it always was, but with a much more kind of modern Warren Ellis sensibility. Um, it jumps from from scene to scene really effortlessly. Um, it can it can be a bit easy to kind of get lost and forget who the characters are as you, if you're reading it month to month like I am, but there's enough really, really funny um, action, like incredible action storytelling um, in, in this issue and indeed every issue of this series. It's so good. Um, and uh, each issue ends with like the plot, getting even thicker and baby you better believe it's a paste at the end of this issue now let's talk about the other publishers um we're going to talk about some dark horse books now we've got the fourth issue of shaolin cowboy who'll stop the rain written and drawn by jeff darrow the fucking man he's one of the best uh, pencilers in the game and uh when colored by dave stewart as he is in this book god damn it looks wonderful 
um, the Shaolin Cowboy. This is the final issue of this great mini series in which the Shaolin Cowboy, who, who is just a uh, exactly that, like he is a uh, a very well disciplined Shaolin Cowboy who travels the world and getting into fights. <clears throat> um, but he tries to be a peaceful man, but unfortunately, violence keeps finding him. And this time, it found his way to him in the form of a uh, crab who uh, uses mind control to uh, take control of of uh, humans and make them do his bidding. And uh, this kind of we we met all of his uh, all of these other people that have problems with uh, with. Um, with with the Shaolin cowboy, um, from m- most of them are because he like ate members of his fa- of their family, all the animals. Um, but there's some f- amazing few panels of all these other humans kind of admitting that, like you know, revealing why they want to kill the Shaolin cowboy. Um, it's fine, like you know, Jeff Darrow is a celebrated um, artist, but you forget what a very very gifted comedy writer he is. And um, this series had a lot more dialogue than the last Shaolin cowboy series, which I think had about. Uh, I reckon over four issues, maybe four pages of dialogue overall. The rest of it was just him going through zombie after zombie after zombie. But uh, yeah, this was a very dialogue-heavy series and um, ended hilariously as um, uh, he he takes down his uh, his his big foe in a hilarious way that kind of mirrors the way um, mirrors the origin story of uh, of another of his foes from earlier in this series. Um, and uh, you know he he goes goes forward on his, on his path to redemption. Um, I, I just I just love this series so much, and I think you know Jeff Darrow if he if he's able to churn out one of these incredibly intricately drawn um, mini series every two three years, that's that's going to keep me very very happy. Um, if anyone wants to try and track down all of the original Shaolin Cowboy series stuff, I tried to find it all on eBay, but it's all extremely expensive before Dark Horse got it. Or if anyone from Dark Horse is listening and wants to buy those books and re-release them uh, yourself so I can read them, that would be real cool. Um, also from Dark Horse this week, we had another great book, one of my favorite books of the week, um, Aliens Dead Orbit by uh, James Stoko, who did everything on this book, um, story, art, and lettering. Um, and uh, we just this is just another great, like, you know, I, I feel like... Like, you know, the Aliens means so much more than it did... 20 years ago because it's they keep making more movies that they're kind of you know like that you know, you've got all the prometheus stuff you've got so many different uh comic book adaptations and and and, and series based within that universe but i really feel like, like, like this this stoko series reads like stoko's only seen alien and aliens and left it at that and just based his comic in the aliens universe on his uh experiences with those two very good movies and so you have like this, you know, familiar setting, the, 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 the spaceship full of humans getting attacked by aliens and members of them getting picked off one by one. But it's told in his very, like, you know, his extremely stylized um, artwork. And then there's jumps forward and back in time throughout the story. Um, and you learn, you know, a little, a little bit more about each character before they're torn apart by the aliens. Um, and I really love the, uh, yeah, like the, thawing out of these uh, infected um, uh, people that they found in space and uh, one of them is loose loose in the uh, in their spaceship too so they're they're a threat as well um, I, this was a great issue there's one more to go and uh, I really can't wait to get the hardcover of all four of these issues put together uh, finally from Dark Horse this week we had Depth issue number 16 written by Matt Kent with um, colours by Charlene Kent uh, Matt Kent does the beautiful art in this too 
Um, it's you know this is such a such a beautiful book with beautiful paper stock too. Um, and uh, this one uh, really del- delves into the kind of the life aquatic side of of depth, which is uh, um, the main character's father was a um, like a, a, a an ocean explorer and would ma- made documentaries of his uh, misadventures underwater, um, and it goes all the way back and kind of tells these really fun stories before everything gets really tragic and horrible because as you know in the first issue the the first issue his daughter is investigating his murder and um we learn a lot of backstories about how he you know came to work with some of the other characters that we've met throughout the series and um all all the while the uh the current day team are trying to uh basically escape death underwater and there's all kinds of uh horrible shit going on um, but uh, yeah, it's an unbelievable series and uh, I've loved every issue. Depth, it's a very good book. Uh, Matt Kent also wrote an issue uh, for Valiant this week. Um, the third issue of Rapture featuring Ninjak and Shadow Man, Tama, Punk Mambo, Rex the Razor and Babel. Babel is a uh, guy who uh, has, can, can talk to the gods and uh, is trying to bring down a new age of gods or something fun and weird like that but uh he basically convinces uh shadow man or is trying to convince shadow man to sacrifice his life so that he can go about his evil deeds and uh yeah it looks like everything's going to get resolved in the final issue that comes out next month uh it's a fun book but nowhere near as fun as valiant's other big release this week and that was secret weapons number two written by eric hasera um with art by royal allen and patricia martin on colors this is an unbelievably cinematic book that builds on what we saw in the Harbinger series. Uh, basically, you have these characters that have that have like what's seen by the government as fairly useless um, powers uh, banding together as uh, a horrible creature tries to hunt them all down and steal their powers and lives. Um, it's really really fun. the The characters are all so so different and well written, but just the the direction of the panels and i don't know if this is the way eric hesera hesera um uh writes you know i don't know if he does like panel by panel layouts for the artist to, to do or it's just royal allen's strength as an artist but just the the layouts the way all the action is divvied up into these uh you know like there's just so much change up of of uh, of panel work within each page it's uh, it's it's like i said it's it's a very cinematic comic and um one that uh I mean, hopefully they, they get to adapt to this in the, in, the, in the future when they start doing all the massive Valiant Universe stuff, which Eric Hesero, he, God damn it, Eric H <laughs> is uh, attached to. And in fact, that's the whole reason he wrote this book after, after writing a Valiant movie. He came to love a character that he knew he'd never be able to write a movie about. But hopefully this book is successful enough that he's able to make this movie into a movie. Um, over to Archie right now. Uh, and uh, we get Over the Edge Part 3. Everything changes, everybody, for Betty Cooper. Uh, we know that she has been injured in a car accident, and uh, in this one, while everyone is in the hospital waiting room, we see different members of uh, of Riverdale, from her parents to uh, Mr. Weatherby to Archie to Veronica, uh, go have flashbacks to when Betty did something to with them or to them to make them realize what a beautiful person she is, and she's like you know the heart of Riverdale, and it looks like uh, you know she's she's they they start building towards like the reveal that maybe she's dead but um they they do get a pulse and uh at the end we get the classic i can't feel my legs moment so it looks like we may see a wheelchair bound betty cooper in archie books in the future and yeah i i I think 
I think killing that character was, was definitely a wrong move, so I'm happy that she's not dead. But uh, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully Mark, Mark Raid's definitely a, a competent enough writer that he can write uh, a story of, of, of merit and, and, and worth with, uh, with a character as beloved as Betty in a wheelchair now. Um, I will say that uh, art, the artist Pete Woods, who uh, has been, uh, you know, on, on I guess the last ten issues of Archie, and I know Siobhan isn't the biggest fan of him, and I certainly wasn't for a while too. But I think he finally clicked with this issue. There's a, a flashback. Archie's memory of Betty Cooper is uh, of them as kids, and uh, he draws a really, really sweet Archie and Betty when they were like six years old. And I think that was the, that was all it took for me to be like, oh no, he, he's actually a really good fit on this book. Um, and then I went through and looked at his. Uh, his character work throughout this issue, and I actually am a fan of what he does. So there you go. Um, over to Boom now, Victor Laval's Destroyer, um, issue number three of six. This is uh, his kind of uh, modernization of the Frankenstein story, featuring the original Frankenstein's monster um, and uh, a, a mother who, who's, who loses her son. Um, she, he, he gets hit by a cop car, and um, the cop is, is still you know able to be a cop, and justice is not served. So she... Uh, Basically, basically reanimates her own, her own son, and uh, she uh, has uh, a bit of a bloodlust towards authorities, um, especially, especially people that she has a history with. Um, so there's a, she's got a dark past, and all the while, Frankenstein's monster is destroying his way through the world. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to team up with her in some way or try to destroy her, but that's why I'm going to keep reading four, five, and six of this really fun series, uh, with featuring great art by Dietrich Smith and jo- um, Joanna Lofuente. Um, finally from Boom, Bill and Ted Save the Universe, part two of five. Uh, I thought the first issue was really, really fun. Maybe it was just because I hadn't watched Bill and Ted in so long, and uh, I was excited to read uh, a comic that was really well written um, in terms of their voice throughout the book. But um, look, let me just tell you, I'm a much bigger fan of Excellent Adventure. I like my Bill and Ted going through time, not going into space, which is what they do in this issue, and uh, I could have done with a lot less of that. So I'm not going to continue reading the series. Um, from IDW, we got the second issue of Clue, written by Paul Allure, with um, art by Nelson Daniel. And um, this, there are moments of like forced humor in this book. Um, the, the breaking the fourth wall, the, uh, the, the butler does um, as he talks directly to the writer, to, to the reader. Uh, it gets a little bit grating in parts, but there is a lot of heart in this book, which is a classic kind of play on the, um, on the like a modernization of, of Clue and Cluedo. Uh, yeah, there, there are moments in this where I'm like, I kind of don't read the dialogue as, as intricately as I should be doing, but um, then I'll see something on the, on, the, on the next page and be like, oh, no, maybe this book is cool. And uh, it, ends, it ends with a, a fun little cliffhanger. Um, it looks like every issue is going to have lots of cliffhangers like this because it's a murder mystery and that's what they, they do. Um, so I'm, I'm going to stick with this for a couple more issues for sure. Um, over to Dynamite right now, and we got a new issue of Magnus. Um, issue number two, written by Carl Higgins and Jorge Fuones. I loved the first issue of this book that uh, is basically about a robot therapist um, and uh, who has, has freed... Like, this is in a world where people have, like, AI intelligent robots, um, artificially intelligent robots working as, like, uh, as help for them, basically. But they kind of achieve some form of sentience and then they just wish to be free. They don't want to work for their humans anymore. Um, and uh, one 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 robot has killed his his masters and they're worried it's going to be a full-on war and it's up to magnus to try and uh bring that robot to justice and she kind of goes into the place where they upload their their consciousness and tries to track him down it's a very different 
different kind of robot story. Um, I don't think this issue was quite as strong as the first issue, but the art by Jorge Fornes is very, very good. And like, I don't expect art this good on a Dynamite book, I'll be honest. Um, and so it was a, a real treat to see something this cool. Uh, we got the final... A uh, little backup story featuring Turok before they launch a Turok series too, which is all in the same universe as all this, uh, the Sovereign stuff. Um, and uh, I'm pretty on board with it all. It's pretty, it's really fun. Um, finally, again, because Siobhan isn't here this week, I decided I would give another uh, issue of Jimmy's Bastards a, uh, a go. This is Garth Ennis's very heavy-handed uh, take on James Bond with art by Russ Braun out through Aftershock. And um, it is like, you know, it is Garth, Garth Ennis at his most stupid um, with, uh, you know, there's a whole, there's a big kind of joke about all the characters in this trying to figure out what gender fluid is, which, uh, maybe is funny if you're 50 years old, but for me, I just kind of rolled my eyes through it. Um, but basically this is about, uh, like the, this, this Jimmy character who is obviously a take on James Bond has uh, a whole bunch of kids that he's neglected over the years because he has sex with all the ladies and, uh, they are banding together to, I guess, destroy him. Um, and uh, there's some funny moments, but then there's some classic fucking Garth Ennis. Like one of the characters has to uh, is is only working for um, Jimmy's uh, kids because they have him by the balls, as in they have literally cut his balls off and have his balls in like this little life support machine, um, which is you know hilarious, obviously. Uh, but I don't know if there's something. I'm a sucker. I'm a big time sucker. And I know I shouldn't be for, for Garth Ennis books. I'll, I'll, I give them too much of a chance and read them all the way through to the last issue. Even if it's 70 issues of the boys only to realize, why did I read any of that? And that looks like my, maybe what I'm doing with Jimmy's bastards now. Those are the reviews of everything this week. Um, I didn't get around to reading the digital first only uh, version of, uh, sorry, a uh, release of um, Iron Fists. Uh, by uh, Kyle Cara and Andrews, which I was looking forward to. I'm going to read that on the bus home today. Um, but uh, hopefully I can talk about, about that next week. Um, thanks so much to Wayne for joining me for First Things First and uh, to Lynn as well for uh, her incredible Corgi review. Um, who knows who's going to join me for reviews next week? Hopefully someone uh, great. I'm, I assure you it'll be someone great. That's that, that's the Levin's guarantee. Um, speaking of great things that you can... Uh, look forward to in the next week a whole bunch more comics are coming out and uh, I've been through the list it's another massive week uh, for me to try and take on by myself uh, but here are some uh, here are some books that I think you should definitely check out the uh, final issue of the uh, series Black which is all about um, only black people receiving superpowers um, but it's been a pretty awesome kind of mix of, uh, of of kind of racial politics and also just like pure fun superheroics um, that the 62 of that, which is a bonus, uh, of, of, like extra 20 pages comes out this week. So I'm looking forward to the finale of that series. Uh, we get the return of one of our favorites, Black Hammer. It's always exciting when a new Black Hammer comes out. Um, remember that shark book by Cy Spurrier that we loved so much called Hookjaw? Well, if you liked us talking about it, but never got around to reading it, there is a trade paperback featuring all of them collected. So that's coming out this week. Um, I am a big fan of the Marvel Little Golden books. I like buying uh, one for each of the different Marvel characters for my son. And this week, I'll finally be able to get a Thor Little Golden book. It's Mighty Thor Thunderstrike, which looks like it has like small ties to what we're going to see in Ragnarok. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm actually kind of keen for that. Uh, Savage Dragon has the special 225th issue and uh, I'm trying to think of someone who works at King's that might want to do a guest review of that for us. Lynn, you're right, of course. Um, we also get a new graphic novel 
from uh, Image called Solid State, which looks really cool. Give you that little flick through when it's on the shelves this week. And finally, um, a crossover between um, a franchise that uh, I think is okay and a franchise that I fucking love, and that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the okay one, and Usagi Yojimbo, the Stan Sakai uh, Samurai Rabbit series. They're doing a full-color crossover one-shot this week um, through IDW, um, which even if you have not read either of those properties, I would highly recommend picking up because Usagi Yojimbo is a lot of fun. Um, and Stan Sakai is a master cartoonist. So uh, definitely, if you see that one on the shelves and you haven't added it to your list, pick it up because uh, one-shots are just good to have in your collection, especially when they're uh, drawn by such a master. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you uh, would like to uh, join the conversation and uh, and talk to me about any of the books that I may have wrongly or rightly reviewed, depending on your point of view, you can do that in many different ways. The first of which is find us on Facebook and give us a like, um, facebook.com slash serious issues podcast or you can join our facebook group which is growing by the second um uh, and by the way i love river um you can uh, find our facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash serious issues podcast and uh, talk about comics all the time with coming up on almost 1500 other comic book fans uh for some reason every time every time i wake up there's like an extra 30 people for me to approve so it's it's growing exponentially um we also are on twitter at serious underscore underscore issues or you can uh, talk to me directly at levdog l-e-v-d-a-w-g on uh, twitter and instagram and facebook as well add me on all those things hit those fucking like buttons fam uh finally you can send us an email to an address that i never check called which serious issues at kingscomics.com but you know who does check it shinbone herself so if you want to send her uh some greetings uh maybe uh hey how's the baby going you gonna read some comics anytime soon motherfucker uh serious issues at kingscomics.com thank you so much for listening to this episode and uh we will see you next week goodbye Hey, this is Levins. Thanks so much for listening to Serious Issues. If you're not completely sick of my voice by now, why don't you check out one of my other podcasts? One is called Hey Fam, and it's about comedy and pop culture, so like comic book movies and comic book TV shows, all that kind of thing. The other one is called The Mitchin, and it's all about the uh, food and bar scene in Sydney. You can find both of them on iTunes or download them directly at yolevins.com slash podcasts. Thanks so much for your support, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.